call unto thee, O Lord, and send down my life to guide us, for we are weak and afraid, and we lack knowledge. There is no one to hear your plea, no one to answer you, no one to ease your suffering. Lord, have mercy upon us. Hey, hey, welcome to the NY Patriot Show. Here we delve deep into the abyss, covering topics such as occultism, spirituality, secret societies, conspiracies, and the unknown. Join us in trying to put these pieces together and figuring all this shit out. The NY Patriot Show. Welcome back to the NY Patriot Show. Uh, today, I'm very happy to have this guest on again. Uh, he'll be, probably be wrapping it up, I'm assuming, um, the series that I've been doing with him. Uh, today, finally, wrapping, like I just said, wrapping up the series that I thought, for me, it was really good. Uh, I think it has tons of information. And it's a series that I think if you listen to, you will, you know, and if you pay attention to it, you're going to just have tons and tons of different things. To think about and you'll be like wow i don't know it was honestly it was an honor to be able to do this series with you i really enjoyed it it was tons and tons of information and it's yeah it's fun man it's really one of the i think one of the one of the more i had a good time doing it just put it that way it was one of the more fun topics and series that i've done that i wasn't doing myself i didn't have to do anything you covered it all but like i i really had a great time and i appreciate all the time and effort you did and uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Today we are on again with Robbie Marks. So Rob Marks, I forgot you like going by Rob Marks, right? Robbie. Rob. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, so yeah, and I have my uh, wonderful, amazing uh, co-host Teresa. Um, I've had a lot of uh, good things said about you, so you know, uh, obviously it's working out well. And honestly, I don't care; it works out well for me, and I enjoy your input. <laughs> no, I mean I enjoy your input and your take on things, and just the help with the show. So, thank you. Uh, it's my show, and I'm enjoying it, and I think it's working well. So. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> just, thank you so much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, Robbie, why don't you let everybody know? Uh, I do have your stuff. If case anybody's watching now, I'm live. Um, his links are in the bottom of the YouTube info. But if you want, uh, just let everybody know where they could find all of your stuff that you want to promote. Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on, I do have a Patreon, which I should give you at some point. Yeah. I don't really use it that much, but a couple people keep in contact with me through there. Um, but yeah, and, and as far as this whole um, series of shows, as far as the Nimrod series, um, I was just talking with the book editor this morning. And basically, we're in the process of, of hammering some stuff out and moving some stuff along. And I'm also uh, starting on a series of illustrations for the book um, oh, as wow. far as, you know, um, my own personal art. And, um, yeah, it's coming together. Um, I would like to say it's going to be done soon. But um, as far as the hammering of all this stuff out and and getting it and then you got the manufacturing process after that oh, yeah, yeah. it's going to be you know but i'm but i'm planning on releasing a, a good sized you know little little uh little book 
with, uh, and it goes into depth on a lot of way more in depth of what we can even cover here. Um, just because I was able to take the notes and kind of, you know, weave them, weave them together. Um, but now before we were talking about, um, the land of, uh, Samaria and Acadia and that evolution coming into the, the Babylonian period. Um, but now when we look at the um, movement from ancient Samaria into the Akkadian Empire, and that's basically when these um, multiple kind of nation tribal states kind of merged into the Akkadian Empire, right? And it's like Akkad. So um, was the was the general term, and um, you can see at that point that the um, Sumerian system was a sixty based number system, right? Uh -huh. Which is where we get the three hundred and sixty degrees of the circle, which is where we get our clock broken down into the twenty four hours and the hours and the minutes, and um, but nonetheless, that sixty based system. Um, changes over in the Akkadian Empire into a 10-based decimal system. Oh. And, and a lot of um, kind of what I've put together from that is that I think you were seeing the 12-fingered and the 12-toed Anunnaki Nephilim, um, basically that were um, working with the humans as far as... Um, in, in regard to how they were building and creating and, and you see essentially the movement from the 12 finger accounting system to, as these, these uh, Anunnaki are kind of dying off. Right. Um, you see that uh, moving over into the 10 base um, decibel system that we use now. Right. Um, but, but the whole thing at the time, we're still dealing with the goddess aspects of of um the lunar calendar mm. and the fact that that was what was used in all these arising agricultural civilizations um as far as the um the uh, planting and the growing and you know in regard That's to the goddess herself and let's see so as early as you know something um, real quick i just want to mention real fast i don't think i don't know if too many people realize but like the even the farmer's almanac I mean, going by that, that's done through astrological shit. Yeah. I don't know if everybody, yep. you know, a lot of people know that. I mean, that should tell oh, yeah. you something. If the, if the well, Farmer's Almanac is going by astrology, I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I'm about to take off on the road for a few weeks, and I've got cherry trees here that I want to get the cherries off of. And I, like, don't know exact. So I'm going to have to look up in the Farmer's Almanac <laughs> exactly when the cherries ripen in this region, you know. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's essential information in regard to planting and harvesting and, and, and generally um, keeping a civilization alive. Because if you're not going to have access to food, you know, then, then you're going to have a collapse, so this 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 uh, astrological measurement, right, was a necessary function during this time to keep these peoples alive. And um, we have back, let's see, as far as 3500 BC, right, we have the megalithic yard, which was in use. And this is the uh, the measurement of the arc of the moon in the heavens, right? Oh. So basically one second of arc on the earth was 272 feet, right? And this was the measure 
that all the ancient Cyclopean buildings that these Cyclops, Anunnaki, um, were essentially using as the measure to build these structures. So it was directly based upon one, one second of lunar arc, you know, and then they broke that down in accordance. So, uh, wow, yeah, yeah. Up. How would they know that? Like, like how would they ever figure that out? You know, you look at the Mayan calendar and you look at a lot of uh, just in the preciseness in regard to, you know, within hours, they can tell you when Venus would transit the sun, you know, and they and, and as far as the turning of the ages and the watching of that, just like Adam in the beginning, how we talked about set up that that initial stone circle, you know, these people from as far back as recorded time goes, have been watching the stars and the move. So basically, you know, and, and, and when you get into Thoth and, and being, you know, um, almost a savant of sorts, um, you know, he was writing the, the books of the Chaldean oracles, that, you know, going back to the Atlantean oracles, you know, that were related with those seven rings where each ring was related to a different planet and they had the oracle of each planet on each. So, you know, these oracles and these, these measurements of the planets and how they've like echoed into, to, you know, modern personifications, you know, and, and it's just, uh, it's like, now if we go back into India, right. Um, Nania was the most ancient worship of the moon, right? And in the Greek, we uh, we have uh, Anti Ant Anitis, right? Who is identified with Artemis, mm. who is the uh -huh. moon, right? In Egyptian, we have Hecate. Um, the Sumerians had Nana. The Akkadians had um, Sin right? Like S I N in the Bible. Right. And so when, when in the Bible, they were saying go and sin no more, they were saying go and worship the moon no more. Oh man, that's great. Yeah. A friend of mine just sent me a passage about the moon and eclipses in the Bible. And she was like, see, uh, I don't know. She was implying that like it wasn't evil or evil. I don't know, whatever you want to yeah. call it. And I was like, I'm pretty sure what they're saying is that it's bad. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing with the earth is it's so intrinsically linked with the foundation of matter and, and bringing like the soul force into matter. Um, and, and Madame Blavatsky talks about the moon um, in her essence is a paralyzed entity how how she's crystallized in her own form and she is um the the um how does she phrase it um basically the the sidereal lunatic is what she calls her right <laughs> and and when you look at the word luna right yeah is where we get the word lunatic you know yeah. so as far as tying and that ties into you know, a lot of the artists used to be considered, you know, lunatics or have lunacy. Um, and it was believed that the reflected rays off the moon was used by the artists to create. And so that, that's why artists are oftentimes associated with lunacy. Well, you know? and a lot of artists are very active night owls as yes, well. As well. Yeah, I am. My mom's. <laughs> Since I've always done everything backwards. <laughs> like I, I shower at night. I generally eat at night. I don't eat during the day. Like I, you know, same, same. I, yeah. yeah, I stay up until <laughs> three or four in the morning and I wake up at night. You know, I generally sleep seven and a half hours and I See? wake up 
but I'm completely like <laughs> on the opposite schedule. So, you know, and what that says in regard to mentality and, and how I just naturally operate in this mechanism that is, you know, this, this reality it's uh yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now then also in the, uh, bibli- in, as far as biblical terms, right. As far as the Amorites, um, they called the moon, um, Yar Icha, right? Um, so you have all these different, uh, different terminologies for this lunar force, and and you know basically um, that they all worshipped in regard to bringing forth crops and generate, and um, you know uh, much like Isis was was said to be the moon as far as the eye of Ra in a couple mm. places, um, but uh, let's see. So uh, now, you know, sorry, Robin, to interrupt you. Um, what was the word you said in India that they used? Um, Nania. It's Nania. Doesn't that sound like Narnia? Narnia yeah. does very right. much. Um, N A N I A is the N A N I A. Okay, I always wonder where that name came from for the series. Like, yeah, you, well, you know, in so many words, you can trace back into, and that's like. Uh, Do you have anything? You know, that makes me think of like because I've I just binged fucking Stranger Things recently, and they're oh uh, yeah, I'm on put, like episode three. <laughs> well, so you might, I don't know, by then you might have known, I don't want to ruin too much of it for you then, but like they, they eventually take Eleven and they get her back to, you know, the place that she was trained at. Yeah. And yeah. they're putting, they put her in this thing called Nina. Nina. Oh. Yeah, Nina. and it's basically her laying in water in some suit and a whole bunch of different screens. And yeah. I think they're just yeah. basically making her tap into old memories. Yeah, and it's called Nina, and I was just like, you know, <coughs> you take out if you take out the ends, you got AI in there. I'm yeah. just yeah. It's so I was thinking of it backwards. Would yeah. be well, a, a that, that Nin Nina the Ninus, um, you know, all it, it ties in with with the lunar aspects, um, and and then you got the water, you know, as far as crossing over into the the other realm, and well, the moon um, affects the water too. So that right, another thing, right. Yeah. And um, so we were talking about different names, right? Um, mm-hmm. In Samaria, the sun god was called Utu, U-T-U, right? And he was also known in different, like how we talked about Osiris had different metaphysical states, right? Um, like when he was the husband that loved his wife um, as Isis, right? He was called Linus. You know, like in Charlie Brown. I was going to say, you know? Charlie Brown. Yeah. Oh, have you ever heard my opinion on Charlie Brown, Rob? The blockhead situation. The blockhead. He's got the, the Aquarius stress. fucking wave, and he's got the, the yellow shirt. And the colors. And yeah. Blue, blue. And the black and yellow. Isn't yeah, that like black and yellow, black and yellow. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now, so now you tell me about Linus. I'm sorry. So now I'm just like, oh, yeah, what the no. fuck? But well, I'm just talking about different metaphysical states. Is how these entities, you, you know, and back to how we talked about Moronimus and the mother of a million gods. You know, um, all these different entities based based on the the metaphysical state that they were existing at the at the time had different personifications or different names that they took up, right? So Utu, the sun god in Samaria, was also called as Samus or Babar, you know, which... The elephant? The elephant, yeah. I was just, I was just <laughs> I thinking that. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's the sun god in Samaria was, was one of his uh, incar one of his uh, manifestations was as Babar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Babar. <laughs> so let's see. Um, and he was the shining solar deity of divine justice, right? And he was very um, potent in the land. And once um, Nana, um, the uh, the moon goddess, shows up, right? He he instantly becomes an old man, right? And um, and so you have Utu and Nana being the uh, the first two parts of the Trinity of Samaria, right? And the third part was Venus, who we talked about before being the morning evening star. So you have the interrelationship and play between the sun and the moon and Venus. And that even echoes back in how we talked into how we talked about how um, early on these Anunnaki or these Nephilim had used Venus as a lens to basically, you know, come down in. I was recently reading some Rudolf Steiner and he talks about that sat it was Saturn that basically is where the thrones are situated. Well, that's and, right. I, it, Kabbalistically, Isis is used as an image on for uh, for Saturn. You know where Saturn falls on the tree of life, and it is her right. sitting on a throne, specifically huh. on a throne. Yeah, yeah. So these thrones are essentially what allowed. Um, there was like these curiosities. I, I can't remember the exact name, but they like sacrificed themselves that allowed Saturn to open as a lens and the thrones around that focused Saturn so that the earthly, like our soul entities, our energetic forces could come into matter to occupy bodies. So you have these different planets associated with different types of, you know, humanly beings coming, you know, uh, not necessarily humanly beings, but but occupants of the state of matter coming into being, you know, because you have the lower and the higher astral form. And before somebody had asked about the jinn and, and going back to the land of kin, um, those jinn were said to be a higher um, metaphysical state than, than man was in between man and gods, but they can't transubstantiate. They can't move through the multiple realms like the human uh, manifestation, the human soul can, right? The human energy force. And basically, and so they were jealous of us and essentially they can manipulate matter. And that's how they come into this realm and basically participate with us and, and grant the wishes, which are always end in, in, you know, um, you know, dastardly evil things happening. You know? <laughs> like so, manifestation. The tricksters, you know, it, <laughs> and that gets into the whole line of, and, you know, back to Skinwalker Ranch and, and the tricksters, man, what kind of, of, you know, but the tricksters are always there to teach certain lessons that, that, true, true, that I think. need to be learned. So, you know, back into the idea of what's good and what's evil and why are things coming forth? And, you know, so, what lessons does does the human race need to learn in order to progress into the you know and you know you get into conscious evolution and those that take the initiative versus those that that need some sort of a uh, a spur you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know you um, had said a few things that i wanted to just touch on real quick um you know when you were talking about being able to manifest into 
you know, I guess like a physical, uh, you know, physical body. Um, and you're talking about Saturn, <clears throat> where that falls onto the sphere of Binah, the tree of life. I mean, in my opinion, that's what that whole sphere is about. It's like kind of going in between uh, the physical matter and, and I guess the spirit world. You're coming into, yeah. you're being birthed into existence we, we're here. crossing into yeah. the and, physical realm. And then you had mentioned something about, uh, sorry, the sun, the moon, and Venus. Yeah. Um, I had a, uh, it hasn't dropped yet. I think I had him on live. We might have done it live, but I did have a, I had a listener on who was an electrician. And he, you know, he showed stuff in his books and he just covered stuff where he did say he thinks there's like a lot of occult kind of stuff, even when it comes down to electricity. And mm-hmm. he was mentioning that the, the three best uh, conductors would be uh, is either um, gold, silver, or copper. Right. And when you come down to, you know, magic, when you want to look at metals associated with uh, planets, that would be um, you, you silver for the sun, uh, for, for the moon, uh, go, uh, gold, obviously, for the sun. And then you have copper for Venus, which is Venus. seven, which is, you know, the maiden yeah. again. That's Saturn like, is and, lead. Yeah. Ooh. Yes, yes. And Saturn is lead. Yes, you're right. Or the heaviest mercury. one. Yeah. Or what? They call lead black mercury. And like if you read Paracelsus, black goo. Into, yeah. <laughs> right. Black I was just thinking. <laughs> um, but Paracelsus <laughs> talks about the fact that within gold are all the other metals. And there's a way to transmute and pull all the metals out of gold and then in reverse put them all back into gold. So when, when you start, a, and I've realized, I don't know, I'm probably on my 10th or 11th Rudolf Steiner book that I've been going through recently. And the more I read Steiner, the more I realize that what he is talking about as far as the morphing of the human and coming into matter and the, the moon coming out of the earth and like he t- as far as the Lemurian age coming into the Atlantean age, um, what he's really getting into is um, a cosmic alchemy, you know. And, and how basically all is, is manifest from the sun and all will return to the sun. And then when you get into the old Luciferic stories, um, talking about Lucifer, um, he was, you know, in the high, he was in a uh, region without decay where there was no death, right? And everything was pure bliss and beauty. And he was basically working a sort of a cosmic alchemy where he went against the forces of nature or the, you know, physics. And basically that caused him to quote unquote fall into matter, you know, or potentially even create matter that we have all then fallen down into. Well, and isn't the Bible verse that he fell like I saw Lucifer fall like lightning. Right. And that's in relationship to King Herod, um, I believe um, that it's the only mention of Lucifer in the Bible. And it was added in there, um, I want to say, by one of the, the Caesars um, in regard to the king of Limnos oh. you know, at the time. So, but yeah, that's, it's, I mean, and, and you go back to the old Hebrew tales and they actually talk about Lucifer walking in the garden of Eden with uh, Yah or Jah or Jehovah. Um, and basically the fact that um, he had a breastplate 
that was all the different it had uh 12 different stones no nine different stones and then there's two shoulder pads that also were part of the getup right and when lucifer fell from the heavens um because he got turned he got put into the upside down like stranger things <laughs> um, basically the <laughs> the breastplate that the the hebrews wear in the in the um in the temple in the temple of solomon and in the tabernacle as far as the traveling tent um that was the breastplate of lucifer but it's turned upside down mm-hmm. all the stones are in reverse order right as oh. not reverse order but you know inversed yes as yeah. far as yeah, yeah. Interesting. And yeah, really. yeah, and that's sort of uh, almost, I think that the breastplate is almost a sort of a Ouija board that that they use to facilitate contact with uh, another dimension. Very much like, uh, you know, um, getting into the Department of Energy and, and what went <laughs> on with Stranger Things and kind of uh, project, when you get into Project Looking Glass and oh, some yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I really think yeah. that show, not to get off topic, I think that series of that show shows a lot of stuff that's probably real. Yeah. You know, just puts it in a fantastical, fancy, you know. You know um, I think that the, the first one may be more precise, but I think as it went on, it's become a bit more glorified. Oh, yes. More fantastical. Best way to put it, yes. You know? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I think the uh-huh. whole idea with, like, the MK Ultra with the kids and, you mm-hmm. know, like, studying and being yeah, able to... Yeah, I do think all that is actually real. Yeah. And then you get into John Lilly and the reprogramming repro- and reprogramming of the human biocomputer. You know, and and that's a pretty interesting book. If if anybody wants to get into, um, you know, creating alt mind alters and and fractional states of being that allow entities to enter, um, stuff like that. You know, um, but now Nana, back to the goddess. Um, she was the patron goddess of the herds, right? And so her being um, essentially symbolized as the moon, um, you had Nimrod who wore the bull horns, right? Um, which was representative of the moon, right? But um, Nana actually wore, um, in some descriptions, she wore a physical decapitated bull's head on top of her shoulders, right? And her symbol was the bull skull, right? And essentially with the horns, you have the moon mm. and where the brain would be. That would be the uh, cosmic womb of creation. Right. And then going down the nose would essentially represent the entry or the, um, the vagina going into the womb. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that bull skull um, represented the moon and the, the cosmic force of the birthing into this realm, you know, through through the, the emanations of um, the lunar powers. Well, wouldn't the horns kind of be like the electrical, like, points, like Can, positive and negative? Yeah, like, in, in a way. a force. For sure, for sure. Right. And also that horn, the horns were also representative of a boat, and in one of the festivals to Nana, um, they would actually have a boat where um, 
Nana and all the other godheads would basically ride this boat across the celestial heavens, across the zodiac, and they would meet at a certain point and then they would return. So basically crossing the abyss, you know, once a year and, and then um, coming back and, and bringing good tidings for the future crops, you know? So, uh, yeah. Um, That's interesting because sometimes I do think like in like in a weird you know this is when it gets like you know deep into I guess I don't know how you would even put it that conspiratorial maybe deep occult stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of times when I do think like a lot of this does really come down to electricity. Yeah. Sometimes I do think of like and uh, I had someone on who kind of went into the same thing with magnetism and an actual magnet and showing, yeah. you know. I was going to say magnetism, yeah. It's like, I feel like, that, like you said, there is two poles, yep. and it's like you got that electricity, like an arc or whatever, going on, and then there's this, this thing in the middle, this magnetism that is now making it bend. That's arcing. That's arcing the electric, and that's the fuck-up. Yeah. That is the whole fuck-up right there. Yeah. Well, and when you look at the morning and the evening star, right, um, the morning star is the the first light of the day, and the evening star is the last light of the night. And so the morning star, being Venus, ties day and night together as the two points. And then you arc them or merge them, and you're basically merging day and night. And you know, create it's it's alchemy. It's an alchemical manifestation. It's that it's that force of pushing and pulling. And the merging of the fire and the water to create the steam that allows the manifestation, you know? Yeah. 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 I thought it was weird. interesting too, Rob, how you were saying um, the moon like connected to agriculture. Yeah. And stuff because usually we think of the sun as being more directly right. involved with that. But I find too, like just on my observation, mm-hmm. like my own flowers, like in my front yard or whatever, I see them growing at night. Yes. And like, chi- well, like I swear, children grow in their sleep. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, so we, it's we like we get too. the energy from the sun. Yeah, and then we have that point at night yes. where we manifest. Expanding, yeah, manifest yeah. exactly. It's crazy how it where works. We, right? Where we manifest into the further of the into, into the next part of the creek. We're constantly, you know, in the daytime we get that nutrition and mm-hmm. that that fatherly light almost that that gives us the energy to grow. And then the right. moon at night is the time where, like the sidereal lunatic, you know, when we're asleep, we become locked. And, right. and basically we manifest those powers, you know, that and, and, you know, and that's the earthly body. Whereas at the same time, the, 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 the spiritual body um, or the energetic force that, that, animates the physical body um you know is is potentially off doing other projects busy know? doing other things exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. so um now um one of the things i found interesting um there's a book called and i just want to you know point out some of these books if anybody's interested oh, right, in going yeah, sure. um, but there's a book called liber 420 and he talks about all the ancient mystical practices um, dealing with cannabosum or cannabis and, and its use through, um, you know, ancient cultures and 
into modern um, alchemy and magic and a lot of, you know. Um, but he details that in Samaria, um, there were, from Professor George Hackman, there are 4,000-year-old inscriptions, right, on the topical use of holy oil with cannabis. And it was rubbed on for purification and cleansing, right? And they had temple offerings of three, they would basically burn three bundles of cannabis, you know, in the temple. And when you get into the tabernacle and Solomon's temple and how basically every level was enclosed further, um, and then in the tent, in the in the basic uh, at the altar at the center of the temple um, was where they would burn the the cannabis on the altar, and you and you would get the pillar of smoke. Um, some associate with that, but that area within the holy of holies um, on that altar, it was almost like sealed in, you know, through multiple layers of curtains. So the closer you got in, the more they were like basically hotboxing it. You know, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So and and you know, but they would they would basically rub oil. You know, and this goes all the way back into ancient Samaria that we can see this. You know, where they would rub the oils on their skin, um, much like uh, the witches with the datura and the belladonna. Um, And and you know, we don't know. There are certain recipes for some of this stuff that we can find. Um, there was a drink called Kaikion that was basically a cannabis drink with um, myrrh and frankincense in it. And frankincense actually has a cannabis in it, uh, a, a cannabinoid, active cannabinoid in it as well. And and the frankincense does something, not the, the uh, myrrh does something to open the neuroreceptors. And they say basically this, when you would drink this drink, it would intensify the the experience by eight times because of the the combination of the other elements within it. You know, that's um, fucking wild. Because myrrh is used, uh, you know, when it came when it comes to magic, myrrh would be associated with like a lunar uh, incense. And uh, yeah, there was I, I remember I was watching. I can't remember her name, and I always found it very interesting. I was just watching a. Uh, it was like a history thing. I think it might have been timeline. I'm not exactly sure what it was. It was something that I watched on YouTube, and it was like history of like uh, pharaohs or like female uh, people, you know, females that ran Europe. And right. there was, and they said actually at the most prosperous and richest time in in not Europe, I'm sorry, in Egypt, yeah. Egypt, it was actually like a female that was running, it. and they said that she was like a fucking gangster when it came to business. And at that time, I think they specified that myrrh was like, like they were importing that shit like fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. For the temple processes. Yeah, and, that's what they were saying for like temple shit. They really well, do think I, it was like highly used. It also in that goes stuff. into um, when you get into a lot of these, uh, these, these compounds, um, they were using them um, formulaically. For producing certain things within the temple structure to create certain effects on the mind. Well, and it's interesting that the wise men would have brought Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Exactly. As gifts, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now, um, and those those documents, um, they basically go back to the temple documents from the third dynasty of Ur from Uma. 
So, you know, we're, we're going back um, pretty far there. And now um, Nana or Inanna, right? Um, her symbol um, was the eight-pointed star. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and um, they called this eight-pointed star um, the seal of the prophets. And if we follow this eight-pointed star, Right. It, um, early on, the goddess form was using it, um, getting into Inanna, Ishtar, Samarimus, um, even linking in with Isis and Egypt. Right. Um, but nonetheless, um, we can follow that eight pointed star to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Uh, wow. Well, that's yeah. interesting because doesn't yeah. Jesus come from the line of Melchizedek? Jesus was a disciple of of Melchizedek, yes. A descendant, I think, yeah. Well, he was he was a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I think is exactly how it's how it's framed. And, and when you get into Melchizedek and you look into the rabbi stories, um, Melchizedek is actually it, he is the energy that is flowing down from Kether into this realm. So he is actually like the thoughts of um, the Godhead himself, like manifest manifest on earth, on earth. Right? Yeah, you want to hear something real, real quick about Melchizedek? And I just want to add this. Well, first off, first off, I want to throw in real quick. I, I do find it interesting. And uh, I've mentioned it before. I don't know if I've said it to you. Uh, we're talking about 420 in uh, Jacob in the Book of Mormon 420. They do mention the city of Boaz in there. I thought it was Boaz. weird how they are 420. They do mention Boaz, but um, mm. I'm also in uh, looking at this because you said Melchizedek, and I was like, wait a second, that again, that that's something again that I wish I like to have gone into more, but didn't. But that also goes back to the Mormons. Um, in June 1831, J Joseph Smith and Lyman yeah. White ordained several men, including each other, to the high priesthood, likely meaning to the office of high priest. 14 mm -hmm. reflecting their understanding of the Bible. Some early church members referred this high priesthood as the Melchizedek. Yeah. Yeah. He had, there was an order of Melchizedek within the Mormons. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now, you know, when we get into Abraham here in just a little bit, um, we'll get into um, Melchizedek and basically the first, um, sacrament as far as the um the bread and the wine the the eucharist um the origin of the eucharist being from melchizedek oh okay you know? yeah yeah um but now also this um this eight-pointed star of nana right is also associated with the um iago or the chessboard right which has eight squares by eight squares. And that ties directly in with um, Thoth or um, Hermes or Ham or Kim chemistry, basically inventing the game of chess or hazard. And, and See, that's, so you that's a wild thing. Cause you, you mentioned Inanna and the eight pointed star. And I'm thinking, well, mm -hmm. the eighth sphere on the tree of life would point more to Mercury and Toth and Hermes. Right. 
Right. So it's funny how you're no. mentioning, but it is, but that, that sphere is on the female tr- side of the fucking yeah. the tree, though. So I find that, yeah, I find this very interesting uh, how it, it's so, a female, so, but you're talking about Toth now, which is, you know, a hermit. Yeah. So Thoth, uh, when he invented that game of chess or hazard, right, he's basically using, he created the board based around the inner, the divine feminine energy that's associated with nana ishtar isis um that is the the eight-pointed star well so, isn't this like all masonry symbolism like the eight-pointed star the yes. black and white chessboard, yes. right yes. yes and oh two sorry to interrupt you Rob. no no go ahead um no when we were talking with jonah new york we talked about the eight point like the captain's wheel is yeah. eight points yeah and the wheel of fortune is see, eight slices yeah i happened to see a photo of um uh, St. Peter's Square in Rome, like recently, yep. and from the oh my god, what do you call it? Oh, the tall thing, <laughs> oh, the obelisk. Obelisk from the, the obelisk. obelisk to the dome. There's a large circle with eight points, and yeah. I thought that was so weird. I was like, uh. Yeah, well, now, now if you really want to fucking think that now this is pretty wild. If you think about where Hod is, where you know you're talking about you know all that stuff and the sphere mm-hmm. of eight. If you go through. The sun, and then go to the directly across now to Chesed. That mm. is where the wheel of fortune shows up with the eight sliced wheel sliced as well. Sliced wheel. Right. So you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, crazy. And eight is infinity as well. That's what so I was thinking too. Like, is that a continuous loop yeah. as well? Infinitude. And this now this uh, this chessboard right um, was the um, bookkeeping mechanism for the merchants. Right. And they would basically use it as like an abacus to keep track of numbers. And there were certain symbols that these ancient merchants would uh, use, much like the Masonic handshakes now. Right. Or how the Christians would draw one half of the fish and the other person would draw the other half as far as ways to recognize each other. Right. Uh, But Mm -hmm. one of those ways was thought to be what they call the night's tour, where you can essentially take the night and I think it's through 21 different moves, he basically moves through all four corners of the board and returns back to where he started. So this is one of the, the ways in which, you know, uh, the certain members of these societies would be able to, to acknowledge and recognize one another. Well, know? and can't the night, the night piece only moves on a right angle, like a 90-degree angle? Yeah. Like correct. the square? Yeah, I was just thinking it's so interesting because yeah, this that angle that 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 kind of goes with. See, I even I even think like when you start getting into Saturn and uh, that area and Binah on the Tree of Life, you go from a sphere into like the Mm -hmm. cube of Saturn as you progress up, and I think like like you're saying. Right. Kind of night, darkness, you know, all that stuff, and the making an L or an you know, it's all square shit to me, and it just seems. Yeah. A weird connection, like like we're saying now. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And now, if you trace that uh, that checkerboard, you can tr- the oldest um, checkerboard that they found is actually somewhere up around Armenia, um, Lake Van area. And basically, when you go back into the ancient tradition of those Hyperborean wizards, um, that checkerboard is black and white, right? but only at nighttime. 
right? So in the mm-hmm. nighttime, when you're viewing the, the, the board itself, you see it in black and white because of the nature of the darkness, right? But when you take that checkerboard or that chessboard and you move it into the day sun, when the Luciferic element would illuminate the night sky covering up the goddess, right? Um, so basically you're looking at that board in the goddess form when it's on the Masonic floor, right? So it's at it's in the nighttime. That makes sense, actually. Right? Mm-hmm. But now when you look at it in the daytime form in the ancient Hyperborean, um, it's actually a powder blue and a scarlet red are the colors of the squares. Blue and red. Yeah, so you're looking at the blood, and you're looking at the uh, color associated with the robes of the ancient Hyperborean wizards. You know, going going as far back as I could trace that that wow that chessboard. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and that's even the power and the glory of the the tree itself. That's very wow. Yeah, yeah. The red and the blue. I've always huh. even found that weird. I mean, I, I you know I don't know the exact fucking you know. If true or not, but even the whole thing with regardless, I mean, with your veins, they're blue when you're looking at them, but once they're yeah. exposed to oxygen or whatever, you know, yeah. fucking excuse this when is, oxidized, it t- yeah. turns red. I mean, I always it found that just red. to be, you yeah. know, is that because it's finally actually entered this real fucking world of existence? Yeah. I don't know. Well, <laughs> sounds weird. And also, you got to figure blood when it turns red um, can thereby also be linked with the idea of sacrifice or spilling blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the chaos. Um, yeah. 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 Well, and then there's like the red lodge and the blue lodge, and magnetism right. is always red and blue, the poles. Right. Right. Or, right. Yeah. So, um, so now Inanna, um, Inani, um, Nana, as the queen of heaven, and how we talked about how the Hebrews or the Ibiru, those without footing, right, would basically constantly turn back to worship the queen of heaven, you know. Um, and let's see, in, in Babylonia, in Babylon, um, Inani, I-N-I-N-N-I, Inani, who's another personification of Inanna, um, she was basically known as the Starfire, right? So, and when you get into Starfire, um, Alistair Crowley called it the um, gluten or the, the force of creation, um, and basically, it's associated with menstrual blood, right? And um, when you get into the starfire and the ancient um, Fae Pictish, if you if you read uh, Nicholas Devere, Sir Nicholas Devere, um, one of the books that Tracy Twyman um, had a hand in publishing, um, it goes into the fact that this starfire was what the uh, ancient Scythian or the ancient Fae, um, the, the Pictish lines would, uh, drink the starfire and very much like, uh, the modern, um, adrenochrome, you know, phenomena, um, they would basically use it in a similar manner, but the, it was the, it was the idea of the grail and you had to like get the grail princess to fall in love with you to secrete the appropriate hormones so that this, uh, this king that was in place when he drank the starfire um, would get the, the appropriate mindset. So it was a matter of, you know, wow. creating this, this idea of love. And then that handed down, you know, and they had 
chairs and special straws that they would do this process with. And nonetheless, they would say when they would drink that, they would be in their purest mind so that they could be the most uh, righteous ruler, you know. And then as time went on and that power of the starfire, because they talk about how the power of the starfire dissipated in those princesses, right? As we crystallize more and more into matter, as the Kali Yuga turned and basically we, we go lower down into the, the force itself, right? Um, that, that, that practice was turned on its head and became the modern personification we have now with the, uh, the blood sacrifices and what, what all that entails. Yo, that's you really know? weird. That's interesting. Cause that makes me think about the, um, the OTO Gnostic Mass, really. Because at the end, you do get mm. the, the cakes of light and you get the wine. And uh, I mean, I know it is baked out of it. There is supposed to be, you know, there is immense. You have the, whoever the priestess is in the Gnostic okay. Mass, if you're, if you're taking part of that and you're going up there and you're eating the cakes of light, there is cooked, burnt menstrual fluid added into that cake of light. Mm. So it's very For weird sure. how you're talking about, For like, sure. you have a priestess up there, and then we're all going up there and kind of, I mean, eating her menstrual. Participating yeah. in this ancient starfire ceremony. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting. Funny enough, star, starfire is the name of a character in a kid's uh, Teen Titans, it's called. It's yeah. a DC comic series. Yeah. yeah. Starfire is one of the characters. It's all funny. this stuff, you can just see all this stuff, like, echoing into modern personifications. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. he does say every man wow. and woman is a star, too. I mean, that's one of his quotes, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's almost like the blood of creation, I guess, right? Yeah. Like, that's how I would think of it. And then right. I can see how, like, that would tie into the Eucharist under uh, Jesus establishing that, like, right. instead. Right. Well, and now this is ancient Hyperborean. So we're talking about before Samaria. We're talking about that uh, uh, was carried up into and faded out during the time of the Pictish or the Fae, you know. Um, and now when we look at uh, Inani as the starfire, right, being essentially Venus, again, back to Venus, um, as, the, as the morning evening star, she was the queen of heaven as the harlot or the whore of Babylon. And doesn't that go back to the scarlet whore kind of with the copper and the red? Like, oh, the copper. Uh, yeah, see, that's even another weird thing. You know, the, the maiden of the scarlet whore, she falls on, you know, Venus, which is associated with copper. And like I said before, but, you know, copper will turn green. Green. Yeah, that's sure. true. Well, yeah. it brings life. Yeah, and it's, you know, Venus is associated in that. Very weird. Right. Yeah. It's bizarre. <laughs> so, yeah, let's see now. In uh, Samaria, Oh, real quick, I do have a question for you, if you don't mind. Uh, no, go ahead. Do you think Hyperborea is still in the center of this realm? Um, yeah, I've, I've looked at a few different perspectives on Hyperborea. Um, and, you know, you had a lot of people tie it in with the Norse idea of that that northernmost continent um, that was once the North Pole that that basically was summer all year round um, and had basically you know I've seen um, um, some stuff about Saturn being a second sun that was on it was you know physically on fire and it was like basically uh, 
located and we spun around so that it was always as the nor- like the second sun and the way that the uh the rings of saturn laid it made it look like the eye of sauron kind of oh. blazing Guy, right um but but when you get into and you even go back into the purge persian theology and when they talk about an ark or a var um they don't mean like noah's ark like the original story like noah's ark transverses the waters of the flood right whereas the original ark or the var of the persian um philosophy was more of an underground fortress and the reason was they said that um, that that eternal summer that that gave the golden the Saturnian golden age um, essentially there was an earth change and the earth flipped over and that continent that was at the true north is now essentially Antarctica right and it's all iced over um, and when that happened the Hyperboreans fled into the different countries like you have the grecian mythos where they talk about the maidens coming with the bread and the bees and like apollo was a hyperborean who came down and brought the Appalian medicinal gardens you know and apples were considered uh, you know a medicine well the all heal or the the um the uh what's it called the mistletoe grew atop the apple, you know, so Apollo had these gardens he brought from Hyperborea. But then when you get into Rudolf Steiner and how he talks about Hyperborea, um, he talks about the fact that um, it was a time when the moon was still inside the earth. And essentially the moon exited the earth. So I think we're getting into the idea of that Luciferian kind of cosmic alchemy of, of, you know, uh, drawing forth all of reality from that gold, you know, bringing forth, you know, the earth and then the silver coming out of that. Mm. Um, and, and basically when the, the moon came out of the earth was supposedly the end of the Hyperborean age. Mm. And, and like turning like lead into gold kind of thing, which is alchemy. Right. You know? Right. Right. Mm. Um, Interesting. But yeah, the Hyperboreans are an interesting subject matter, man. I've dug into them quite a bit. Um, But when they first set up shop, um, they would actually, um, they ate off all gold plates. They had all gold silverware. Like everything that they had was gold, right? Because of the vibration. Now we get back to electricity again, right? Because of the vibration of it, it more complemented their energies and they were they wouldn't even touch humans and they wouldn't let humans touch their gold things because they were afraid that their vibrations were gonna that our vibrations were gonna alter their vibrations you know so it's yeah it's pretty interesting when you get into that early hyperbore uh, you know hyperborean kind of you know and and even before that was you know the lemarian so it was like the lemarian into the hyper and it's just yeah the turn but a lot of the temple system that we're talking about with the Babylonians and the Sumerians and the Egyptians um, was said to come from the Atlantean, um, you know, system as far as the oracle systems of the Atlanteans, you know, as they developed. Um, um, I have. I sorry, sorry to keep taking you off track, but I have. Uh, I do have another question. So, 
Um, which I guess yeah. is a good thing because people value your opinion. So <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I guess I can't complain, but I'm sorry that uh, I'm taking you off track again. Um, so many yeah. KS, uh, you know, uh, I think I've seen you before, or maybe you're just more vocal today. I do think I've seen uh, seen this before, so I, I want to make sure, you know, uh, I ask. Uh, so yeah. do you think that they or their descendants are the ones responsible for the grand architectural achievements found throughout the world? Okay. So that's so that, exactly. which I think is actually a great question too, which is yeah. why I wanted to ask yeah, you. That is a great question. Yeah. It, so it might take exactly. you off path, and we might have to you just make this a longer episode. But yeah, I, yeah. I'm totally fine with so, that. So um, when you go back and you look at these um, ancient Atlanteans, right? They it was basically the idea that it was before the fall, before the flood, before the ancient deluge, right? And the more that I dug into the Atlanteans the more I realized that they were the fallen angels. They were the Anunnaki. They were the Nephilim. They were the Titans or the Gigantos. Yeah. This is, this is all, you know, and all these different stories have names for these different, you know, the, this, this type of being. And they talk about, you know, they had the full stock, which were the true fallen ones or the, the true Nephilim Anunnaki, right? And then when they bred, with the humans, they became the Rephaim or, you know, so they basically had full stock, half stock, quarter stock, eighth stock. And as they would interbreed with the humans, their the viability of that, that connection with the other realm would also degrade. And, and so that degraded into what we have now. And then when you get into the idea of Egypt and Heka and those born with those ancient traits of those, um, those ancient Atlanteans, those ancient Hyperboreans, um, like if they had web feet or if they were a dwarf or if they were a non-symmetrical human being, basically, right? They were considered to be filled with Heka. They were considered to be filled with magic. And, and mm. it was good luck to have like a dwarf around um, oh wow! You, you know what's yeah. funny? You know what's weird? If just real quick, if you if you, have you ever seen the show, uh, the movie Midsummer? No. It, it's it's just kind of like uh, it, it, just to make it basic. There's like this kind of almost like this magical cult, a magical community that you know mm -hmm. the, these people end up going to, and they do have like this one kid there that I think uh, you know is probably a product of interbreeding. Um, mm. That is just like like deformed. There's something wrong with him. But yet they consider him like very highly connected. He has a right. book that he scribbles in that they keep as like holy scripture. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah, so I, I find that like with what you were just saying right now, very yeah. very weird. Yeah. Well, so now back to that question. And when we when we see at the uh, the end of the Atlantean age before the flood, right? This is the time of jared basically in the bible uh -huh. and it talks about in in jared this is when the fallen ones came down right and began to breed with earth women and created the the giants you know um but nonetheless that line and and when you get in the and i get into this in the book there's an argument as to whether noah was because you know a lot of the um religious fundamentalists as far as christian fundamentalists argue that noah flooded the earth because of this race of giants and they had kind of bastardized the genetics of humans right mm -hmm. whereas if you get into the sumerian texts and the babylonian texts they talk about the fact that noah preserved the hybrid line 
right? And and when you get into the ancient rabbis' um, writings, they also talk about the fact we talked about how Og, the giant, had jumped on and come into the new world, right? Well, nonetheless, there's also a story where um, Ham had uh, interbred with a pre-Adamic woman um, that he brought on the ark. And supposedly that's one of the stories for the birth of the Canaanites, right? But nonetheless, um, these offspring of Ham in the land of Cana, which was Ethiopia, which was Cush, right, um, were the Cushites or the Canaanites or the Cyclopean builders, right? So mm. they were the ones, they were actually you know, the remainder of this line from the times of Jared before the flood that had made it into the new world. And they were the Cyclopean, you know, um, like uh, uh, cannibals. And and so they were participating in the eating of the flesh, okay. and like we talked about before, but they were also directly attributed as the Cyclopean builders of all these ancient structures. And then you see the, the older structures are more perfect as far as uh, seamless and put, you know, you look at some of the South America, Machu Picchu, and a lot of, uh, I, I always call it sexy woman, but it's sassy, sassy woman or something like that, <laughs> um, where these walls um, are essentially, it looks like melted stones that they're so engineered so well, you know, and some people get into aggregates as far as if those were poured stone being cement yeah but yeah. nonetheless I've heard of that. yeah but it was these these cyclops um these cushites these canaanites that were directly associated with the buildings of these colossal structures right and wow. and here's another here's a funny one so in phoenician right the word elon like elon musk right um, that Elon means the builders of Cyclopean artifices. So the, you know, Elon was the one, they called them the Elon. They called them the ones that built the giant structures that would outlast humankind. Come so on. when you look at Elon, as far as energetic form, and he's got the boring company and SpaceX, and he's got all these at giant Cyclopean modern day edifices. <laughs> you know, it's funny in the last episode that I think we're recording this week with the uh, Skinwalker Ranch finally wrapping it up with episode six. Mm -hmm. uh, most of it's going to be like eight tip documents that Lux had come across and just dug into. And it really, mm -hmm. I hate to say it has actually some fucked up scary shit in it if it's legit. But um, yeah. I was going to, I was going to have at the beginning just some like more random, just weird stuff. And I did find a lot of um. You know, I'm talking about Robert Bigelow, who was one of the owners of the ranch. Uh, he works with Elon Musk. A lot of things that he does, he's using SpaceX rockets to do it. Yeah. Like, there's yeah, a connection Bigelow between Bigelow him Air and Space. Musk. Yeah, he, he's got Bigelow Airspace Industries. Or, or yeah, 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 yeah. But those two, like, they use each other. Like, he will use his rockets yeah. to send yeah. his shit up, you know, wherever it's fucking yeah. going. He might yeah. have even, I mean, to look, I have to look into it. He might have used SpaceX rockets to attach to the International Space Station. Space Station. Interesting. I mean, Bigelow supposedly <laughs> is connected to it. He has some sort of thing that is connected to the International Space yeah. Station. Yeah. So this it's, is all weird shit, how these well, people tie and, in together. And then, yeah, and then you get into Maxwell and Epstein and all those ties, and 
this all harkens and echoes very much into a lot of what the ancient Sumerians were, were doing, you know, um, interestingly enough. When you say Cyclopean, you mean like Cyclops related, right? Cyclops, yes. Which I find funny because like, you know, Elon Musk is trying to unite us under like AI and like the singularity yep. you could call. Singularity. Singularity being like right. one eye. Like, right. come on. I, you know, I think, I think you had said that to me one time, Teresa. Yeah. I think yeah, like in chat, you were talking about AI stuff, just weird shit. Yeah. And she mentioned like, maybe that means AI, like just one eye. And I'm like, the AI, yeah, like the I Could that even be I. more of the eye symbolism too? Besides yeah. going into other occult symbolism, could it just mean the Cyclops? Um, AI. Weird. What? So it's one, and what's what? What? Let, what number is the letter I? Oh, Eight. Ninth. Oh. Eighth. Did I do it? Did I count wrong? Okay. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, was, I was just curious, but um. Yeah, so yeah, it is interesting looking at how all this stuff echoes into, you know, the modern um, political spheres, you know, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Um, so now when we see uh, ancient statues of, uh, oh, so I was going to, that's, yeah, that's so in Samaria, right? Um, it, she was called um, Ayu Rit U, right? which means directly, which means the sacred harlot, okay? And it was her to who human virgins were sacrificed, and, con and they were consecrated to a nameless shame, right? And, and when you get into the different personifications um, of Samarimus, um, of, of Inanna, of Venus, um, we see her with pure white alabaster skin, right? And her eyes are often symbolized as being ruby red in color. Oh. Right? Yeah. Wow. Which is, which is kind of wild. Mm. Um, and, and she would extend out with her hand um, the pomegranate, right? Which, was which they called the rimon. Okay? The fruit of and the dead. What's that? The fruit of the dead. The fruit of the dead. Yeah. And, and well, it was symbolized as the ark. Um, mm. And it, all those seeds were representative of, you know, like a storehold of all the, the life on earth. Right. So that's kind of like know, Israel Regardi's pomegranates. I think kind of like the, his book. Oh. On, I think that's kind of like getting into what you're saying. Actually. He's 100 percent dating back into this ancient practice. And and it was in um, ancient Phrygia. Um, where on Mount Ida that these um, initiates would come and they would circumambulate the mountain um, counterclockwise up to the top. And then they would basically get the, they, you know, and when much like uh, Eve taking a bite of the apple or the citron, as the Hebrews say, um, was directly related with um, Venus and the pomegranate. So all that ties back into um, the serpent line coming into and illuminating the human psychology, right? Um, let's see. And if we get into uh, the name Samarimus itself, right? She was called Se Emir Amit, right? And Se hmm. was the... Emir was branch and 
Amit was bearer. So they called her Say Amir Amit, which became Samara Miss, right? And and she would oftentimes, besides holding the pomegranate, she would be holding the olive branch, which mm. ties her back into the dove and, and the passing over the waters and the bringing forth of the new world as the, you know, the continuing branch bearer from Eve in the beginning to the dove in, in the dedication of the new era, right? Um, and let's see. So, and the olives themselves were symbols of the sun, um, which represented children. Mm. So she was holding, she was basically like, you know, holding the fecundity of generation as far as, as you know, the handing down of the generations of the future. That's so interesting. Yeah, because wow. even in, uh, you know, there's stuff in uh, OTO things that they do. Uh, it's like they take, I think they take um, the bread, they dip it in olive oil and then salt. Mm. And you take that in and I just, you know, something with the olive oil and you know, just. And the salt. Well, the oil is the sacred oil. And then the salt is the, it's a cubic structure. So you're, you're essentially awesome. taking the oil which is representative of the spirit, right? And then you're taking the salt, which is representative of the matter, and mm. you're combining, you're, you're entering the spirit with the matter, much like creation itself, right? And the bread, you're dipping the bread, you go back to ancient Egypt, right? And um, the, uh, the bread, um, one of the incarnations of the, the uh, goddess of the heavens, was she was called the poffer, right? And she basically breathed the life into the bread, which caused it to rise, right? So you talk, so you, it's symbolically, you're talking about, you know, the breath entering into and creating the creation. And then you're taking the, the spirit and you're taking the, the matter and you're combining all those. And then you're ingesting that into yourself and so you are, you become the incarnation of that of of all of time, space, and matter simultaneously within yourself. You know, and that's that's really a perfect way to explain how I've have tried to put that whole that whole scenario together. Um, I'm trying to thinking of the best way I can explain this because I'm not trying to get another fucking DMCA slap because. <laughs> But uh, there's there's a part in uh, you know in something that the OTO does where like you you will do all that and then you kind of will open up a curtain and then walk through that and then be with all your siblings, right? You know, and in my opinion, w what is being shown to you there? It's my opinion from looking at everything and from what mm -hmm. I get out of it. To me, it almost shows you as. Because of other things set up in the area, too, it almost shows, to me, it's showing me almost like as the spirit coming down and now you are being processed into form yeah, and grounded. And once you go past that other curtain, it's like, okay, now you're here amongst humanity. Like, it almost shows you, right. like, you coming in and taking form. A thousand percent, man. Yeah. A thousand percent, you know? It's uh, and it's much like you see the old alchemists like lifting the veil to see into the next realm. That curtain is, and it's like the curtain at the uh, at the tabernacle. You know, once uh, 
once it was t- uh, rent or ripped in two, you know, basically then, then that, uh, energy of, of, uh, the Christ mind became for all and not just for the elect, you mm. know, it took it from the, the Holy of Holies and gave it to, to everyone to be able to have, you know, mm. as an interpersonal relationship with the, 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 the divine universe itself, you know? I mean, I even yeah. think that's why uh, I think Arnold was mentioning uh, David Lynch and Twin Peaks before. I even think that's the whole thing with like the Red Room or like you know the um, the yeah. whole thing with you know those those drapes and shit. The drapes. Yeah, I think that's the whole you know showing the whole same fucking and, thing. And the the, the wavy uh, Aquarius floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got you um, got you got us. You you actually have a statue of Saturn in there, and then you have like Persephone. A statue in there. So much yep. weird shit going on in that one yeah. room. And the dwarf. Yeah, exactly. To the Hecla, back to the magic. That's funny. Well, Persephone is associated factor. with well, the you, you know, pomegranate. You, you know what he does at one point, and I think it's what people don't realize. He's very important. At one point, it's just like a random fucking thing. One of Lynch's weird mm-hmm. scenes, but I think he's showing you a lot. There's a point where I think he's just kind of sitting there with Cooper, and he has a cup of coffee in his hand, and he shows you him turning it out. Normal, turns it mm. out, sludge, turns it sideways, doesn't go anywhere. He's showing you that he's in control of the flow of something, yeah. at least. You know? Right. The Well, in the crystallization of form. Yes, exactly, yes, you in know? different different versions um, of form, wh- exactly. Yeah. What were you saying about the pomegranate, Teresa? Oh, uh, Persephone is associated with the pomegranate. With the pomegranate, 100%, yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. she goes to Hades and then... What does she take? She takes a bite of it, but not the whole thing. So she, she can still go back and forth. The, yeah, six of the pomegranate seeds, mm. which kept her in the uh, the underworld. And right. then there was the agreement made where she could come back for half the year. Half the year. Bring generation. Yeah. Yeah. And the bread and the olive oil and salt, it just reminded me of like, you know, when Christ says, I'm the bread of life. Yes. And then it's like. You're the salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. And then the olive oil is yellow. So it's kind of like light to me. That's yeah. how I would take it. So yeah, yeah. it's interesting. And then mm-hmm. he always says, like, I'm the vine, you are the branches kind of thing. So, yes. again, back to the, the branch. Oh, yeah. I mean, and even thinking of, of, yeah. of, of bread, if you want to start getting into bread that, you know, actually has yeast in it, that's a rising mm-hmm. energy. So it's right. like taking yeah, rising it's a, energy it's and grounding culture. it now. Right. Well, and that's right? why during certain ritual ceremonies, you have leavened bread and you have unleavened bread, mm. depending on what you're doing yes, and what does that. that symbol represents. True, you know? right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Like Eucharist and Catholic Church is unleavened. It's an unleavened bread, bread. and mm. then you're the leavener. You're I the, guess. Yes. Yes. Or or Christ is the leavener. Maybe. Well, Christ is the leavener. <laughs> once you take that bread in, yeah, then you activate allowed to leaven. Mm. Yeah, I see what Very you're saying. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. And Passover, it's unleavened bread as well. I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that's sure. Um, so now back mm. to the Cyclopean builders, right? Um, when we get in and look at Samaramis or say Amir Amit, um, she was the first to erect towers in cities, right? So, and we're looking at you know, or like. Uh, the end of Samaria and early Babylon, and 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 they're setting up uh, these towers and these cities. And uh, Strabo, he tells us, 
Um, these sovereigns were the masters of Asia. Many other works of Samarimus besides those of Babylon are extant in almost every part of the continent. As, for example, mounds of Samarimus, walls and fortresses with subterranean passages, cisterns for water, roads to facilitate the ascent to the mountains, canals, communing with rivers, lakes, roads, and bridges. So we see that um, after um, the, the Nimrod, the elder, um, dies, we start to see the building of these towers and these walls and these cities. And, and the further we go, um, we, we learn that it, was, it became the goddess cults that, that were the ones that became responsible for a lot of the um, cyclo cyclopean buildings. And they may have been directing the Rephaim. You know, uh. to basically build these edifices, these cyclops to build the, and much like you were talking about how in Egypt, you know, it was the most successful time when the goddess was ruling, um, very much in in um, ancient Samaria and Babylon as well. You know that they were they were responsible for the buildings of these these uh, edifices. You know, they were the Elon. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Fucking <Yeah>. Elon. <laughs> That's a really and, good and way to put it. Philo Biblos also tells us that Aphrodite of as Venus was identical with Astarte and Astara, who was the woman who made towers. So, mm. Didn't she have golden apples too, Aphrodite? Um, yeah, I I think that those golden apples, um, they were it was the golden apple of discord that she rolled in that Aphrodite picked up and was declared the most beautiful. But if mm. you trace that back, those golden apples were originally blue. Blue? And yeah. When Hercules got the, the golden apples, um, if you read into that, they were blue apples. The apples of Hesperides, the same ones? It, they trace right up into that, that whole storyline. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Why blue? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you can <laughs> go. That's so funny. Hollow and the apple tree. Yeah, the Hyperboreans. You know? Yeah, that's what I was alluding to. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. my mind went there, but I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. we had mentioned that before, and like how I was saying how like uh, the blue would be the top of kind of like the pillar on the right mm -hmm. hand, and then you go into the middle, and that would be gold, and then if you go yeah. back to the bottom of the right pillar, Aphrodite would fit on that Netsock sphere. That. And maybe it's a matter of the blue apples were ripening uh, into, you know, so as the story transmutes, the the element itself, you know, transubstantiates into a new thing, you uh, know. Yeah, very well and, said. And when you get into Ovid um, and Metamorphosis, he talks about how all these different goddesses and god forms, like how they'll transmute you know, from one into the other or from uh, like a, a human personification into a river or a lake or a tree. And, and just the whole idea of the many types of metamorphosis that, you know, that occur within these stories, which makes it very hard to track lineages and to keep up with certain aspects when you're constantly having. And I think that has to do with 
the turning of the heavens and how the planets move and how they morph through different, you know, states of, of, of being. Um, so yeah, it, it becomes very complicated, mm. you know, to keep up with, with a lot of this stuff. For sure. So let's see now. Um, yeah. So, and it says um, after the death of the younger Nin or Ninus or Nimrod, the greater, um, she, she became an even greater builder, right? And on the Euphrates River, she, dif- she diverted the flow through the city of Babylon, of the, of the Euphrates River, right? And she uh, basically constructed a tunnel that went under the river and then set up these giant bronze poured gates, um, mm. that basically she could open and close and basically redirected the Euphrates River directly through the city of Babylon, right? And they could open and close that depending on the trade and what was going on. And it was said that even um, as far as uh, when Babylon fell in 539 BC, that these two giant gates um, of bronze were still in existence. Um, and this is documented by Sete Sias, um, who was an ancient Persian in his writings. So when, when we look at these ancient Cyclopean structures, um, I think the goddesses were in charge of the, the, the building of these structures, but they were using the Anakin, the the Anunnaki and and the Refa, the Anakin and the Rephaim to basically precipitate building these structures. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah no, that's. Uh, I mean, that kind of goes along with the whole male and female energy, anyway. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the female energy makes the structure, and the male energy is what kind of gives her the energy to make the structure. You know, make the structure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's uh, well, and that gets into the whole X and Y chromosome, you know, as well, you know, it's and then the, the seed as far as the interrelationship male and female, because everything that's that's needed is already there in the female, you know, the, the male just basically provides the energy, you know, for that that turning to come about. Yes. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't know, uh, there's there's an old book that, that I really got into for a while. It's called The Greatest Story Never Told. And it's about... Oh, I've heard of that book. Yeah, it's, I, man, I'm trying to find a copy for a reasonable price. It's next to impossible. But um, it's, it's basically about parthogenesis, which is the idea of immaculate conception and how when you go back into these um, ancient cultures and the idea that there was the flooding and, you know, the possible, well, we know there was a meteorite hit and the bombardment of the earth and like the human um, vessel being in distress. Right. And that, that she basically goes in and shows how humans are one of the types of beings that can inseminate themselves and and produce their own like women can produce their own children without a male you know inter- interceder um simply um due to stressors in the environment and and she was saying that basically a lot of these immaculate conceptions that happened 
um, were because of the stress that the planet was under. And as things stabilized more and more, it became less and less prevalent. And, and now we can't do it at all anymore, you know, until there's some great stressor again. So I, I found that line of thinking, you know, pretty, pretty wild, pretty, pretty interesting, you know? Yeah. 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 That's so, um, now this whole time we've been talking about these, uh, Scythians, um, these Amorites, this whole culture that is, um, ruling over Samaria, um, the Akkadian empire into Babylon. Um, and let's see, it said in, in the Bible that these Amorites basically set the tone of culture and life in Mesopotamia for some 2000 years before the rise of the Christ or the Christ mind. Right. So it's from these Amorites that the prophet, um, Abraham would be born. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, let's see. So the philosopher Isaac Ben Judah are Barbanal, right? He's an old Hebrew scholar. Um, he says that the sign of the measure of the Messiah's coming is the conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter in Pisces. And this is directly related to the messianic births um, from Dagon as the serpent dragon king to the birth of Abraham um, right up into John the Baptist and birth, the birth of, of Jesus or Christ. Um, so in Jasher eight, two, um, it reads that, and the wise men and the conjurers went out from the house of Terah, right? Terah oh. is essentially Abraham's father. Okay. And they lifted up their eyes and they saw, and behold, one very large star came from the East and ran into the heavens and swallowed up four stars from the four sides of heavens. Oh. And the kings and the wise men and their conjurers were astonished at this sight, and they knew its import, right? So this basically, um, let's see, it says, This only betokens the child who has been born to Terah this night, who will grow up and be fruitful and multiply and possess all the earth, he and his sons forever, and he and his seed will slay great kings and inherit their lands. And, and so we have early on here in this prophecy when, when they're basically saying Abraham is going to be born, that this Abrahamic line is the bloodline that will basically um, create the uh, idea of, uh, I, you know, almost a one world order, you know, yeah. basically overthrowing all kings and, and basically ruling all the lands. You know, mm. so, but yeah, so now Abram, he was born as Abram, right? Um, at which, or Abram, and basically he is the, um, the echo coming out of the birth of the age of the ram. Oh. Yeah, when we look at the turning of the zodiac, um, it was the age, so we're, we're leaving the age of the bull which is the, the tiller of the land. It has to do with 
the agricultural societies, right? Which is what we were talking about as far as the bullhorns and this ancient worship of the Apis bull and the Mithraic bull and all these, you know, the golden calf that ties in with the Bible. So th- that was the age of, of the bull or of Taurus, mm-hmm. right? Um, when we come into the age of the ram, um, we're going to see a lot of these bullhorns being put down and we're going to see the rise of the shofar, the shofar mm-hmm. which is the ram's horn that, that one was blown um, after the temple um, was was taken out in 70 BC and they all went into Babylon. And when, when the uh, Hebrews were released from Babylon, right? Um, that was when the first shofar or ram's horn was uh, blown. The second one will be blown at, um, in times on top of Mount Zion at the end of all time space, basically at the, at the Omega point. Right. Um, so, and, and we see like Thoth, um, the personifications of Thoth, um, taking on the goat crown at this point. Um, and, and, there was actually in Egypt, there was one town where they worshiped the ram and there was uh, a bestial um, uh, ritual that, that they would perform there, you know, with a virgin and a ram. Um, but nonetheless, let's see. Uh, so in, in Shabbat, which is the, uh, the Hebrew like uh, they kind of uh, document a lot of the uh, Hebrew history. Um, they say that Abram or Abram was born in um, 1948 in the lunar Sol calendar, right? So that's the Jewish calendar, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we're in the year 6,000 something now in the Jewish calendar. We talked about these calendars in time before, and, you know, we talked about all the different ideas of playing with time. Um, which is equivalent to that 1948 in the lunar Sol is equivalent with 1813 BC. So we're looking at mm. roughly a little over 200 years when the age of the Ram is, is coming into being right. Um, and um, at the time when Abraham was born, um, Tara, who was actually, a servant of Lord Nimrod, right? <laughs> what? Yes. So Tara in the Bible was uh, was a servant of Lord Nimrod as like his major domo or one of his but like his butler almost, right? Okay. And um, when they determined that this child was going to be born, um, Tara was seventy two years old. So here we go into one degree of the turning of the ages and the idea that this relates to the turning of the ages. They're, they're giving you the, the clue here that that's what this is about. Mm-hmm. And um, so Nimrod is the one that gets this prophecy in Jasher, right? And so Nimrod, he gets upset because like Saturn, he feels that Abram is going to come and overthrow his throne. So he like Saturn, once again, begins to kill all the children, Mm -hmm. Uh, much like um, King Herod in when the Messiah is born, right? Um, We have an echo of the same story. Um, And uh, essentially, um, Nimrod orders Terah to bring uh, young Abram to him, right? 
and um, basically so he can kill him. And so Tara, instead of bringing um, young Abram, um, he brings the uh, um, child of a Slav woman, right, or a slave. And essentially that this child was born on the exact same night at almost the exact same time. And so he brings this, this Slav child to Nimrod and Nimrod strangles the child with his own hands. Right. Mm. And basically, so he's like, okay, we don't have to worry about this guy much like Saturn, you know, even though Zeus was spirited away, right. Just like Abraham was spirited away. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Abraham was spirited away by his mother and a nursemaid, just like Zeus was raised by a nursemaid or the and Moses, right? What's that? And Moses too. And Moses too. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, Abram was kept inside of a cave for 10 years, never saw the light of day. Right. And basically on the 11th year, he emerged from this cave. Right. So this leads a lot of people to believe, because now we're talking about this ancient Scythian, um, Sumerian culture, and the idea of the initiations in caves and labyrinths. And a lot of people believe that he was schooled during this time in the ancient practices of this, uh, this communing in caves with these um, oracle powers for prophecy and soothsaying, right? So he understood all of this philosophy of this culture, right? Mm. Um, but when he came out, um, he was basically um, taken to the city of Salem at this point, right? And <laughs> yeah, so after on his 11th year, after coming out of the cave, um, he goes to um, Salem. And in Salem, he basically is hanging out with Noah and Shem, okay? So we're looking at Noah from before the flood, right, who knew Methuselah, who goes all the way back to Adam. You know, Adam and Methuselah knew each other. And so, and Shem is the offspring of, of Noah, right? Um, and... I did, because I've been stumbling over all these names, I did a drawing of the, the family lines, and anybody can look up the line of Noah and, you know, and see how it, how it basically hands down, you know. Um, but nonetheless, um, and as Abram was in, um, in Salem, he was studying the law um, with Noah and Shem, who had direct perspective all the way back to the creation of this manifest realm of the, the realm of matter. Right. So, so he's learning all this and he's learning about Jehovah and, and learn, and, you know, um, I'm reading one of the books I'm reading <laughs> right now is uh, it's the uh, sacred magic of Abraham Merlin. Right, which is the magic, it's the holy magic handed down from Abraham to, to Lamech, right? Um, but nonetheless, um, so, so the system that he was in, he was learning about the earthly magic relating to the underworld and all the philosophies in regard to the energies of the nighttime and silver and that directed 
you know, reflected light that, that precipitates um, decay and regeneration, right, as well as generation itself. But um, now he's studying the energies of the sun, right? And, and when he comes into Jerusalem, this is where he meets Melchizedek for the first time, right? And Melchizedek, when, when he meets him, he gives one-tenth of everything that he owns to Melchizedek. And this is the first time that there is a tithing to the priesthood. Oh. Okay? Yeah. So this is the birth. Of, this is the origin of the tithing. Okay. Yo, you know and what I so want to mention real quick just because I don't want to forget and Because and you were mentioning Salem. Mm. And I, I do remember hearing. I remember coming across that a few times dealing with, again, I hate to be constantly going back to the Mormons because of just recent topic that me and Lux were covering. Um, yeah. Salem does come up in the Book of Mormon, and it is the, uh, the city or county over which Melchizedek reigned. Of course it is. And, and <laughs> Melchizedek, he was the king of Salem. He was the high priest of, the, of Mount Zion as the high sun priest. You see, right. see, now when I've come, on, when I've seen this stuff before, it really, I mean, I'm sure it may, this might be a stretch, but it has, this has often made me want to actually dig into the Salem witch trials and see yeah. what was really yeah. up with that. Was that some kind of false flag bullshit? Look over yep. here because we're doing something fucked up over here. So Who the fuck I, knows read, now? <laughs> yeah, I've read all of Cotton Mather's writings and I've read a lot of the histories of Salem. And when you get into the Mathers family, they were the ones behind founding Yale University, um, which is where mm. we bring the skull and bones in. Um, they also set aside the money and the land for uh, Harvard University, and they're directly related to founding both Yale and Harvard. You know, and and the Mathers family, they also had, uh, they they basically owned the own like they had a monopoly on. Um, um, What's the stone? Um, the it's a red stone that they basically secrete mercury out of. Oh, um, I know what the fuck you're talking about. I just can't think yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a whole line of thinking that the witch trials um, were basically uh, early trials in um, injecting mercury into people, um, and and it was basically a land grab, and they were basically taking out certain families that own um, certain portions of land that they wanted to uh, wow. have title to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, honestly, I had really started thinking, I'm like, there's got to be some like bullshit story behind that whole thing. Cause it's just, yeah. Well, and also with, with cotton Mathers, um, you know, um, the word uh, fucked F U K T. Right. Um, like the clothing brand fucked. Um, that literally when Cotton Mathers was writing about the Salem witch trials, um, that word with the KT, um, basically was, uh, it meant when the, the shaitan or the devil himself was conjured up and would have sex with a witch. That's what that word itself means. You know, oh, shit. Um, wow, oh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. All I keep um, thinking is Eminem because Marshall Mathers, his last Eminem. name is Mathers. I'm just yeah. like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you gotta wonder, man. I mean, um, so, but nonetheless, um, let's see, back, so, but Salem, right, 
it, the the translation, the meaning of it is the city of peace, right? Mm. Um, so let's see where we at here. And and now when we look at um, Abram, he's still called Abram, and at, a, at when he becomes thirteen, um, he becomes Abraham, right? Um, but nonetheless, while he's still Abram, um, he comes into Salem, the city of peace, right? He is the 10th in the line of Noah, right? He was in a cave for 10 years. And when he meets Melchizedek, he gives him a 10th of everything he owns, right? So when we look at the number 10, it's the number of profundity or profundity or generation, where essentially you have the one and the zero. And when they come together, so Abraham was while he was in the seed or while while he was in the cave he was represented as the seed in the cave for the emerging new astral energies that were manifesting that would become the Christ or the Christ mind before it was accommodated and bastardized by the modern day church you know so yeah um so now, and, and that's where we have the first uh, recorded um, Eucharist, um, the first recorded sacrament with the bread and the wine, right? And this is also the origin of the Holy Grail. Ah. So this is Melchizedek with the cup that he holds to bless Abram. Mm. Um, and... and Depending on where you look, there's different stories. And Melchizedek being that energy handed down directly from God, the whole story of the the cup or the grail is that it was made in Kether um, by the angelic forces and was brought to Earth um, as as you know a a symbol from heaven, you know, to to facilitate the turning in the age of the ram into what will become the age of Pisces, you know, um, and the rise of the, the fishermen, you know, um, that's, you know, and that's interesting. Cause like the, the Aries is the start of, you know, the Zodiac too. It's like the right. explosive energy that in my opinion, as you see it, you know, starts to like goes into like now moving from explosive fire energy spirit yes. now starts to go into form. And then it just has this whole, story that just keeps going as far over, as over manifestation yes 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 exactly yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so uh and a quick question from arnold again do you think the nazis found the holy grail <sighs> do you think it's an actual real thing though too also do i think it's a real thing yeah i think it may be a metaphorical thing that's you what know? i thought but too now, so that's why i asked that <laughs> yeah when you get into well that's the whole thing when you get into the the mythos of the Grail coming from Melchizedek, um, being passed down to into the Last Supper, you know, with with uh, Jesus or Yeshua, basically, um, you know, um, doing the Eucharist before he's crucified. Um, then it was Joseph of Arimathea that basically catches the blood in the grave. Mm-hmm rail cup right and that leads into the the uh what is it the uh wolfram von eschenbach's um whale grail quest you know um but but that grail quest also is kind of associated with the idea of the philosopher's stone 
So you see some crossover between the grail and the philosopher's stone, both being symbolized as the medicine that was handed, handed down for the healing of all people, you know? Um, but is it a real thing? Is it a metaphorical thing? You know, that's a good question. Um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's very intriguing for sure. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, but the, but nonetheless, when when uh, Melchizedek blesses Abram, he hands Abram the the Holy Grail, right? And reflected in the cup are all the stars, right? Mm. So here we have a link to the tarot and the cup that holds all time and space, right? Mm. As far as linking and when um let's see do i have it here but uh, when when he gives him the grail when he when Melchizedek gives abram the grail he says he prophesizes and says your seed will be numbered in accordance with the stars basically basically that your offspring will be so numerous that they will they will be like all the stars that encompass all time space right so so this prophecy and, and it's basically prophesying the 12 tribes of Israel and the spread and the proliferation of the Hebrew religion, um, almost turning into um, what became the Christ theology that became Christianity later down the road, way later. You know, I mean, the first books about, uh, you know, all those all the books of the Bible weren't written. I think the first one was like almost four, 150 or 400 years after you know the crucifixion so it's it's just interesting how i think the romans took a lot of that and kind of um and and facilitated a a opiate for the masses out of out of that rebel story that went up against the state you know because when you look at at what the christ mind facilitates it goes against the worship of mammon um, it, it goes against the money changers in the temple, um, you know, and, and I've even heard the walking on the sea is the idea of walking on the Vatican Sea or walking atop, above the idea of what money is, you know. So, like, it, it all goes into the idea of being a, a mystic kind of cosmic man where you are a, a an incarnation of the solar man, you know, once you become reborn and are initiated and become reborn that, that anyone could, could potentially become that Christ or that Christ, you know, through that initiation. And I think at a certain point they took it out of the individual and they turned it into an outward thing mm. that, that you would, instead of knowing thyself, and like the ancient philosophies and the initiation of the mysteries, how they kind of taught the idea of um, the inner self, the inner, you know, and, and the idea of the night journey being that initiation and seeing the cosmos and understanding the cosmos. Um, they took that from inside oneself and turned it into an exterior fashion, you know. Yeah. In a way where you where the energy you're now that you're putting out is to an exterior force instead of realizing like like Jesus said, you know, you are as I and shall do more, you know, than than me, you know. So it, essentially, we are all in this time the manifestation of 
that creased mind if we choose to participate in it. You know, it's there for all of us. It's all we have to do is open our heart. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but, but I think that it was basically taken, but yeah, back to, back to the grail. (laughs) It's yeah. Too easy to get off, off topic. No, it's so good. I love when you do that. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm in university. I'm just taking lecture notes. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Well, and that's so a couple people that, that, uh, I've gotten some really good feedback on these, um, that I sent them out to. They were like, they were like, I was taking notes and I only got like an hour. And then I went back to get, and it was gone. Oh no. <laughs> and I was like, it'll be back up. I was like, you know, once you get it all edited and whatnot, mm. you know, yes. but, but, um, so, uh, let's see, uh, now St. Jude, um, the apostle, um, says that Enoch was the creator of letters, right. Mm. And that it was Abram who organized these letters into the book of creation or the Sephira Yesra, right? Um, and Enoch is identical with Hermes Trismegistus, who was the father of initiation, being Thoth, Cush, or Nimrod the Elder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now Abram, uh, well, let's get into the whole um, when Abram became Abraham, right? Basically, at the age of 13, they would have a puberty ritual where they would cut off foreskin. Right. Mm -hmm. And at age 13 being the number of death and rebirth. Right. So basically the child is dying and the man is being born. And so they take that foreskin as a symbol of purification for one. Right. But also it's a ring. Right. So relating back to the rings of Saturn and the time of the cutting off. Right. So it's, it's, and, and, you know, you can get into all the weird stuff that goes on with, with those remnants and, and what's going on in modern, you know, day. Um, but nonetheless, it was basically based around a puberty ritual where all the 13 year olds would come together and they would all be circumcised oh. and then they would all be reborn as men. And right? is that, that's like the bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah today, right? I think so. Yes, I think so. But yeah. circumcision usually happens as in, in the right. So it's not yeah. so traumatic. So they yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully you don't but, remember anything. Well, but when you get into uh, traumatization and fracturing the mind. Uh, and, yes. You know, yes. It's, it's uh, I'm actually having somebody on for Freaky Fridays this week. That's I mean, I know it's a touchy subject and I've had him on it before a long time ago, but he was going to come back on. We were going to cover that because he does believe that is part of like the beginning of fracturing someone's mind. I mean, you're yeah. doing it as a kid. You're already traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you read uh, Crowley, he talks about, uh, I think it's the beginning of 777. Um, he t- there's a whole chapter in there about how um, numerically um, he can find within the Bible verses um, the idea of, of uh, circumcision through numerology essentially in the Bible, you Mm. know, and it's meant to be more symbolic. And it was, uh, the idea of, um, circumcising oneself from one's earthly needs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Mm. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting though. When, when you get into the, uh, all the 
different stories of circumcision. And I think it was uh, Isaac, when Isaac was born of Abraham, um, they said he was so perfect in his generation that he was born already circumcised. Oh, wow. I've never heard that before. And same thing with, um, what, who is it? Joseph. Um, when Jacob, um, and, and the 12 tribes are born, Joseph as well is born as a perfect man and is circumcised already when he's born as well. Why everyone's so jealous of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, but he was also, what's interesting is he was also like effeminate and they said he was kind of sickly and mm. they didn't expect him to be able to reproduce. And like all his brothers looked down on it. We can get into this when we get into the 12 tribes. But yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty wild stuff. Um, so let's see. Now, um, the descendant. Okay, so what do we got here? Okay, so yeah, I'm going to go into where the line of the Christ came from, right? Um, we have the descendants of Set or Shem. Right. And it was set that went into Egypt and stopped the Osirian uh, labyrinthian rituals and basically cut up Osiris into the parts. Right. Um, Very much like Shem was said to cut up uh, Nimrod. Um, And there's also stories where Shem was said to cut off Nimrod's head. Right. Um, But nonetheless, in um, Genesis 11, so set or Shem's children were Terah and into Abraham, right? And in Genesis 11, Terah was the son of Nahor, who's the son of Sergu, right? And Abraham's brother, um, Haran, produces Lot, which is where we get the Moabites and the Amorites, okay? Mm. And from the Moabites, we get Ruth, who was the great-grandmother of King David. And from the Amorites, we get Namar, who was the mother of Robohim, Robohohim. Um, and it was the crossing of these two lines that give us the um, birth of Jesus, essentially. So the birth of Abraham comes out of the Amorites, whereas the birth of Jesus comes out of the Moabites and the Amorites, right? Um, and a lot of these families... Um, when Ab- when Abram finally left um, uh, Salem, he moved to Cana, right, ancient Cana, and basically they were appalled by the way that you know there was um, a lot of sexual promiscuity and a lot of licentiousness, and so um, we have uh, Abraham births. Isaac and Ishmael, right? And Isaac is the second born and Ishmael is the first born, right? But Ishmael is the evil one, right? He's into earthly pleasures. He's into, um, you know, sexual licentiousness. He's into the hunt. Um, He's oftentimes associated with the hunt, just like Nimrod is, right? Um, And, um, we see that when he came out, they put the red thread on Ishmael first, right? But because um, of the situation and Ishmael being indulging in earthly practices, whereas Isaac was into more propagating the heavenly realms of the mind, um, the blessing 
it gets taken away and given to Isaac. And so here we have the idea of the last is first and the first is last. Mm. And very much like with Saturn, when he was eating his children, right? The last one to go in was the rock. And so the rock was the first to come out. Right. And so the last was the first and the first was last. Right. And that rock was set down at Pythos, which became the home of the Pythagorean Oracle. Right. So that that stone that that Kronos threw up was basically the Pithar stone of the Pythos of Pythagoras. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then (laughs) all the other children that were thrown up became heads of the mystery schools in different regions. Um, But nonetheless, so Isaac um, gets the blessing, even though he's the last, he gets the blessing and Ishmael loses the blessing. And then um, Isaac, um, when he is going to have children as well, um, he has um jacob and esau right and again esau comes out you know they slide the red thread on esau right Mm -hmm. and esau is burned for first he's the oldest brother and um and jacob is born second he's the youngest brother right but again esau is into earthly pleasures and licentiousness and jacob is into the higher realms of the mind so again, we have the first, and and again, the blessing gets given and flipped. So two two generations in a row here, we have the first is last and the last is first. Okay, um, which when you start studying Kabbalah and you get into all this stuff, you start to see how difficult it is to follow these bloodlines because they're constantly flip flopping. And, and then you go back into the early incarnations and they're constantly metamorphosizing and, and they're also constantly dying and resurrecting, you know, from Osiris to Horus from, you know, you just see this constant, um, you know, bringing up of, and, and so nonetheless, um, with Jacob and Ishmael or Jacob and, uh, Esau, um, in the womb, they said even that um, they were fighting in the womb, right? And um, that Jacob had the angel Gabriel there, like fighting um, Samael actually came. Mm. Yeah. And so Samael and, and Gabriel on an astral level what? are battling, like, like in Big Trouble in Little China, you know, um, basically battling each other in the astral realm to determine who will be born first on the earthly realm. And what ended up happening was um, Esau took the, um, uh, the cord and basically conveyed to Jacob that if, unless he were born first, he would kill their mother, um, Rebecca. So um, basically, okay. yeah. yeah, so Jacob or not Rebecca's not yet Rebecca's not yet um that would be Jacob's wife but nonetheless um yeah yeah, yeah. so um Sarah so Esau is born first so that you know the mother doesn't die and then and basically he gets the he's the elder so he is supposed to get the blessing right mm-hmm. and so 
Um, Isaac is watching all these children growing up and basically sees that, that Esau goes and marries a Canaanite woman and, and is, you know, having children and, um, and, and they're worried that Jacob is going to marry a Canaanite as well. And so, you know, uh, they basically say, you know, don't marry a Canaanite. And so they send Jacob to his uncle Laban, right? And Laban, so they're basically wanting to keep the bloodline pure for the the, the dragon seed to emerge. And essentially, um, Jacob goes to Laban and falls in love with Rebecca immediately. And so he goes and he wants to um, marry Rebecca. And Laban, now Laban, when uh, this is this is like where it gets kind of crazy but <laughs> when uh when jacob shows up right um basically looking for a wife laban consults his oracle which is uh called a teraphim or a teraphim um and basically this is a uh, human head that has been decapitated Right. And there's some where it's a adult head. Sometimes it's it's children's heads. Um, but they would basically take that head and they would place it on a charging platter. Right. A being of copper or silver or gold. Right. Mm -hmm. Basically having, again, to do with electricity. Right. And this very much harkens where we see uh, um, Samarimus wanting the head of John the Baptist on its silver platter, right? Yeah. And, oh. and that ties into the idea of the Knights Templar using um, John the Baptist's head as an oracle, right? So this is a teraphim, right? And basically they would place that on that charging platter. Probably it had like a spike so they could set it on it, right? And mm -hmm. they would pull out the tongue and they would tattoo sacred incantations on the tongue to certain deities, almost like they're making a sigil, right? And oh, then they would, uh, they would have these blood pits that they would dig in the ground, and they would sacrifice multiple animals into and pour the blood into the pits. And basically that would attract the energy and of some texts even say of the jinn. Right. And and they would basically summon up these these forces to be able to uh, gain prophecy. Right. So and, and in some texts that talk about the heads, once they were activated and, and after they had conveyed their prophecy, that they would just howl and scream and like yell through the entire night, you know, and, and it's basically uh so this was the soothsaying device, right, man? So this is the soothsaying device that that these Amorites um, were used in in this in this land at the time, and um, Laban just happened to be using the custom of the of the region, you know. Um, but at every point that that um, Jacob is there, um, he consults the oracle, you know, and the teraphim tells him his stars are so lucky. He's like, just give him whatever he wants, you know, but, but nonetheless trick him on the backside, make, make it like you're doing everything for him while you're simultaneously taking everything from him. Right. Mm. So Jacob agrees to work for seven years for Laban um, in return for 
the marriage of Rebecca, right? And um, so the seven years goes by. And during this time, you know, he's increasing the fields. He's increasing the multitude of the herds. He's like making Laban rich because everything he, he's like, you know, everything he touches turns to gold, basically. You know, it, it, like the favor of the gods are upon, or of, of the God per se is upon him, right? And so after seven years, he goes to marry um, Rachel who he fell in love with on first sight, right? At, at the, and it's the, there was a whole well, the thing with the well, you can read it in the Bible. But nonetheless, um, so when the seven years is up and, and Jacob is ready to marry Rebecca, um, Laban tricks him and basically gives him uh, Leah, Right. And which this reminds me of Princess Lucas, Leia. Lucas and Princess Leia. Yeah. Well, even what you were just saying before, I didn't want to say anything to, to yeah. get it off. Well, I mean, it's on the same topic, but I mean, you were talking about instead of seven years, you have seven days and then you have a well. That all sounds like the movie The Ring to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's wow. uh, well. So now. Um, so after seven years, they set up this marriage feast. Right. And. They're saying a word that sounds similar to Rebecca. They're like singing this word that sounds similar to Rebecca, which which in Hebrew, I think it means um, you will marry the oldest one or something like that. Right. And and because Rebecca's the youngest daughter. Right. And so they turn the lights off when they bring the bride in and they marry Jacob in the dark to uh, Leah. Right. And then he goes back and he ends up consecrating the marriage. And in the morning when he wakes up, he realizes he's been duped. Right. So he has the wrong wife and he goes to Laban. He's like fiery mad. He's all upset. And he's like, you know, we agreed that I could marry Rebecca and you gave me Leah instead. Right. And so um, he's just like, uh, you know, just talking all kinds of rat and and Laban is like but that's how we do it you always marry off the eldest daughter first he's like if you want to marry the eldest daughter then you will have or the youngest daughter you'll have to work another seven years for me right mm-hmm. so he wants him in his service for and and Jacob just is really upset and so finally Laban submits and says fine after seven days then you can marry Rebecca. So it's seven years and then seven days. And so seven, seven, but nonetheless, I thought it was another seven years. No, it ended up being seven days. Oh, really? Well, that's not well, that bad. At least according <laughs> to Hebrew writings. I so, know, yeah. You know, um, I, I might have to go back and look in the Bible about that and see exactly. I'm not sure I might have to. That. You know, I could still, that, still but, double sevens regardless, which is weird. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sevens still, yeah, yeah. Which relate to the goddess. So basically they're relating these two daughters as the goddess of chaos that's going to birth this new philosophy that's coming about, you know, in the turning of the philosophical ages, right? Um, into the age of Pisces. Um, so, um, nonetheless, um, Jacob takes, uh, both, uh, Rebecca and Leah, right? But with Rebecca and Leah, he also gets a hand servant for each of them, right? So he basically gets four women through the course of this, right? And, as they're going along, 
Um, well, let's go back to, to the blessing, right? When, when um, Isaac is handing the blessing down to Jacob, right, as far as the Abrahamic blessing, um, and there was that fight between Jacob and Esau, right? And Abram or uh, Isaac was going to give the Abrahamic blessing to Esau because he was the oldest son, right? And it says the Hebrew writings say that the Holy Spirit left Abraham and wept because he couldn't see how evil Esau was. Um, like all the angels were crying out that they couldn't give the blessing to Esau. And so Rebecca, um, what she does is, uh, well, not Rebecca. Um, it's Isaac's wife. Um, cause we're yeah, talking she tricks him, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, she basically takes, um, she, no, it's, it's, so we're, we're going, um, Isaac to Jacob. So it's Jacob. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to figure out how this is. I know all the names are confusing. I got it all. I got the it's thing. a um it's their mom, like Jacob and Esau's mom. Yeah. Who tricks her so, husband? Um okay, so we have Era, Abram and Sarah go to Ishmael and Isaac. And then um Isaac is married to Rebecca, who is brothers with Laban, right? Okay. And it was Rachel who Jacob ends up getting married to, right? So we are talking about Rebecca here, right? Okay. So um, basically, Rebecca, um, who is Isaac's um, wife, um, she is worried that the blessing is going to go to Esau, right? So what she does is um, she takes and um, sends Esau out to get food for the, the, uh, the, uh, right as far as they have to slaughter an animal and, mm -hmm. and prepare him food you know for before he gives the blessing right um so they send esau out and he's trying to catch an animal and every time he tries to catch an animal like the angels are thwarting it and making it so he can't you know to get an animal to come back in time right so um Rebecca, making it take way longer than it should probably right, yeah right. <laughs> So Rebecca, um, she orders that uh, a kid goat be killed, right? And she basically tears that goat skin up, and she attaches some of that to um, Jacob's back of his, the scruff of his neck, mm. and she attaches some of that goat skin, the hair, to his his um, the backs of his hands, right? And then um, to make the outfit complete. She gets the uh, the heavenly garment of Adam, being that necromantic skin, right? Um, that is that they basically kept in the house because the eldest son of each house, uh, if the father wasn't there, was said to be the high priest. So basically, this was the high priestly robe that they would wear in their their um, most uh, like probably on on a couple festivals of the year, you know, on the highest days of the year when the heavenly do would come down, you know, um, but nonetheless, um, and, and as far as how that came into the house, it was said that Esau, when he was out hunting once had actually cut Nimrod's head off, which relates to that story. And it, see how it all gets so confusing because so many yeah. people are doing the same things with <laughs> different names. And so it's really hard to follow, you know, and which is why a lot of people, when they read, they're just like, this is crazy. 
you know, and I don't, I, most people like they can't, un, you know, it, it takes a lot. You read it, but that. you don't even really read it. You're just fucking, you're just like looking at yeah. it, but not really yeah, picturing into your mind the whole connection. No. Well, but the hardest part is going through and looking at who these individuals are and what they were doing and reading story and getting to know these individual characters so that you can kind of create a semblance of this timeline, right? Um, so, but nonetheless, when when um, Esau came back with these heavenly gods and when he cut off Nimrod's head, um, there's discussion about the fact that when um, Nimrod would wear the skins, that animals weren't afraid of him, Right kind of like in Eden, like with Adam. And they would just, so he was always able to catch whatever he was after because they weren't afraid of him. So Esau brings this back, and that's when basically uh, Jacob buys um, Esau's blessing um, through the bowl of lentils when he sells him the lentils, right, and for his heavenly blessing. And so... Um, and also during that time, there's also the idea that they used to put blood in lentils. And in order to take the heavenly blessing, it was against the Noahide law to eat blood. So by eating that blood, Esau also cut himself off on a metaphysical level, right? Mm. And so he, but he, nonetheless, he brought that skin of Adam into the house and, and now Rebecca was in charge of it, right? So Rebecca takes that skin of Adam and puts it on um, Jacob with the goat skin on his palms and the scruff of his neck, right? And goes in and basically um, they kind of fool um, Isaac. And, you know, and Isaac during the time when Abraham was going to um, – slay him on the altar right um as far as that uh that reconnecting that altar to to the heavenly realm with the scapegoat or with the ram and you were seeing the you know the the uh sacrifice of rams here as well instead of bulls right Mm -hmm. the first sacrifice but nonetheless um they end up giving because uh isaac is fooled when he was on the altar and and abraham was gonna uh sacrifice him the angels had cried and some of those tears had gotten in isaac's eyes which made him made his eyes weak for his whole life so he couldn't mm-hmm. see so therefore he was like are you my son you know esau and and like jacob is like changing the subject and he's like come here and he's like let me feel you and so he feels he's like he's like oh you have the hair of esau because when esau was born um like Jacob was a perfect man, right? Whereas Esau was born redheaded and with hair all over his body, right? Mm. So, so he's feeling the skin, and he's like, "Oh, you have this, you know, the skins as far as the hair where it's supposed." To. And he's like, "Oh, come closer," and he's like, "Let me smell you," and he's like, "Oh, I smell the heavenly garment," you know. And he relates it in the Bible. He relates it to the smell of the field, right? And Adam being the first husband, the word husband literally means tiller of the field, right? So he's relating it back to the first man and the fall into matter and us having to work by the sweat of our brow in order to be able to eat, right? So basically he's like, oh, you must be my son Esau. So he basically blesses him. And then he kind of, um, Jacob kind of skirts out of there after he gets the blessing, right? And he's behind like this two-way door, 
and at least in the Hebrew stories, this isn't in the Bible, but in the uh, in Lewis Ginsburg's the uh, the uh, um, Tales of the Jews is what it's called. Um, but basically, it's it's the long form Torah. Um, but he talks about that uh, that uh, he was watching him through the door and like when when they both found out that they'd given the wrong you know the blessing to the wrong child and i guess gabriel had brought down wine for uh isaac to drink to get him in a better mood <laughs> and after he found out that he had blessed the wrong son he was like he was like even though he it was the wrong son i still blessed the right son you know so he acknowledged the fact that the first was last and the last was first you know, so and and then Jacob getting that Abrahamic blessing becomes the conveyor of the twelve tribes of Israel, right? And and there's a bunch of adventures that you can read about in the rabbis' writings um, between Jacob and Esau and how they were always at odds and fighting each other. Um, but nonetheless, at one point, um, Jacob ends up at the altar of Adam, right? Um, when he's running from um, Esau, who's on like a death rampage, right? And <laughs> while he's at this Adam, he's hiding out from Esau, and he essentially takes 12 of the stones from the altar that Abraham and Isaac had built, right? And he lays them out, and he's like, he calls up to Jehovah, and he says, you know, if I'm the one that's going to convey the 12 tribes of Israel— He's like, basically, show me a sign. He's like, and those those 12 rocks in the Hebrew writings, they basically, um, they almost like levitate and they begin to glow. And the 12 rocks are formed into a single stone, right? And so this in, in Jacob's mind means that basically he has the, the, you know, the generation of the 12 tribes of Israel in him. So he takes that stone and he lays down for the night. And when he lays down, he puts his head on, it's called Jacob's pillow, right? And this is essentially um, what they currently call the stone of destiny, right? And um, this is the stone that, let me find it here if I can. Yeah, so... The stone of destiny has been the stone that kings and queens in um, Scotland, um, England, and the United Kingdom have been inaugurated on top of since 1296, right? When they found the stone and determined that, that, that this was the stone of Jacob or the pillow of Jacob, right? And basically... It was like a druidic uh, ceremony, and you can see some of these from the inauguration of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, but, but nonetheless, when they inaugurate the uh, the monarch, um, it was always on a throne that this stone was underneath. And uh, let's see, I have this right here. Let me see if I can get it off. Uh, it's taped to it. Well, I was going to say it reminded me of like Stonehenge or something. So, yeah, if you can see that. Oh, okay. That's the Stone of Destiny, right? Oh. And and this is the um, stone that all the monarchs 
have been um, inaugurated on, like I said, since 1296. And it's still currently in use. Um, the last time they used it was for Queen Elizabeth. And then they hauled it back, and it's actually in um, the Edinburgh Castle in Scotland right now, which ties yeah. into Scottish Rite Freemasonry. Um, and, and there was actually in the cornerstone of the Edinburgh Castle – are also some of the black stone um, that was broken up that some of it's in Mecca. Um, some there's it distributed through various parts of the world, but in the cornerstone of Edinburgh castle are some of the, uh, the black stones that are also in the Kaaba, you know, the same, same stones, black yeah. rock, black rock. Mm. You got it. You got it. <laughs> so, um, but nonetheless, um, so David, or not David, uh, Jacob, while he's sleeping on this pillow is when we have the story of Jacob's ladder, right? And basically, um, as he has his head on this stone of destiny, Jacob's pillow, um, he has what is referred to commonly in esoteric functions is a night journey. Like Muhammad has a night journey. Jacob has a night journey. Um, Ignatius Loyola, when he was in the cave, it, you know, before he created the Jesuits, he had a night journey. Um, oh, Alan Moore's most recent novel, Jerusalem, um, one of the main characters in that has a night journey. Um, Enoch has a night journey where he's basically taken into the heavens and shown the workings of the cosmos. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is a common um, thing that happens with these prophets, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, I think it's directly related with the idea of the baptism of wisdom and the Christ mind and, and, you know, that initiation practice that was open to anyone. Right. Um, but nonetheless, while he's there, he sees the angels ascending and descending the ladder. And there was some that were, cursed because they had tried to do certain things on earth and they were stuck on the ladder for a certain amount of time. And there was some angels that came down and were watching him sleep at the, Adam, the altar of Adam. And, um, but nonetheless, he, he sees all of time space come into itself as a singularity. And he sees like all of time, like unfold, like as a blueprint and like he sees like the rise and destruction of the temple and like the, you know, all the, everything that happens from alpha to omega. And that's when he basically screams out. Um, what he's like, he's like, this place is terrible, you know? Um, and, um, when he wakes up, um, he calls, let's see if I can find it here. Um, 12 stones. Okay. So, yeah. So he screams out, how dreadful is this place? That's what he screams out. Right. And, and when he wakes up the next day, he takes that stone, that stone of destiny or that, uh, that pillow, that Jacob's pillow, and he sets it upright, right? Like a pitar stone, right? Oh, and like an obelisk. Okay. And there was like some sort of a holy oil that came down from heaven, like manna almost, right? And he dumped that oil onto this patar stone. And when he did that, like it vibrated and shot into the center of the earth, right? And became the cent, they just say it became the center of the earth, which to me represents, again, the black hue of Saturn. 
as far as where the ancestors are trapped and this idea of, of, you know, Omega will be the release, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and then from that point, um, Jacob, um, with his two wives, um, being Leah and Rebecca with the two handmaidens, right. Um, they, Rachel, Rachel, um, well, Rachel or Rebecca? Let's see. I'm, <laughs> I'm confused. I got the whole thing here. I wrote it down so I wouldn't get confused. <laughs> um, okay, so in the order um, from Leah first, right, um, was born Reuben, then Simeon, and then Levi. And Levi, Levi. Um, yeah, when you get into the uh, 12 tribes and the land that's allotted to them in Jerusalem, well, and that's the other thing. After Jacob wakes up from that, right, they basically take the – Jehovah takes um, Jaru and, and Salem and combines them, and it becomes Jerusalem at that point after this, after this dream that Jacob has, right? Um, and then uh, – but Levi inherited no land um, in regard to their birthright. Um, all the other tribes got land, but because Levi was the priesthood, their um, their division of land was actually in the heavenly realm. So they got no land on earth, and, and it was all. Um, so then let's see. The fourth was Judah. Um, the fifth was the – so Leah gave birth to the first four, right? And she's the older of the two sisters. And then Bilhah. Um, which is Rachel's servant, gave birth to Dan and Nephali, right? And then um, Zilpha, who is Leah's servant, gave birth to Gad and Asher. And then Rachel, um, who was the one that Jacob wanted in the beginning, right? Um, She gives birth to the last two tribes, um, which are basically Benjamin and Joseph. And um, there was no tribe of like uh, there was, there was not necessarily a tribe of Benjamin or Joseph, but those two tribes combined together and became the tribe of Manasseh. Right. So yeah. So when you start to look at the Kennedys and you know, the idea of, of Manasseh and monastic and, and it's just, yeah, it's interesting how it ties back to the 12 tribes of Israel and Benjamin and Joseph. Um, but but the one thing that, that they don't really talk about was there was actually a 13th child that was born, right? And that 13th child was the daughter, Dinah. And she's not really talked about. Um, she's not really discussed other than the fact that Leah had her as a daughter, right? But she didn't inherit anything. Um, if you go into the old Hebrew stories, there's one story where um, some of the, um, it was like the Amorites or one of the tribes basically married, one of their chiefs married her. And because they mistreated her, um, the tribes of uh, Benjamin and Joseph basically went in and completely executed a whole city. Oh, yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but then you also have the idea of the 13th tribe of Israel. 
which if you get into Arthur Kessler, um, who wrote the 13th tribe, um, he basically detail it's, it's basically the background history of the, uh, Kasarian, you know, mine. Yeah. So, oh, just real quick, uh, Robert, and I, and I hate to have to do this, but like I have like maybe five or ten minutes more, and then we will have yeah. to wrap it up. Hey, we can definitely do another one, so don't worry. Like if there's more that you have to cover, we will just do a part five or whatever. So don't worry yeah. about it. You know? Well, we got to the twelve tribes and the mothers and who they were, and so. But but basically, I just wanted to show how that skin of Adam, you know, transmuted through all of these right up into and i and i think that at the point when um it was handed to jacob um that this was the point that that this uh, ritual garment basically transferred from the black lodge to the white lodge huh. you know and then it kind of disappears from all the stories and you don't see it anywhere anymore that's the end of it so that's the whole. That's the whole story of the book. So, what do you think's the reason for that? Why? Um, maybe it was occulted. Maybe it was hidden because of the fact that it is it is a necromantic kind of device, you know. Um, and and I would say that more than anything, it probably has to do with the idea of the worship of the dead, you know, and and the ideas of of you know um, not worshiping the dead. You know, I think, yeah, no, I, I was thinking the same thing. It was a uh, hidden. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, definitely, then, there's a um, lot of shit that ties into like what secret societies or even, oh uh, yeah, you know, or just, uh, I, don't well, know, I don't know how to explain well, it. Ideas or beliefs with the occultism and magic. Yeah. This whole thing ties into a lot of weird shit like that. Well, and it all goes back into all this stuff that we've been discussing, you know, as far as the emergence of and the use thereof and where these. But but also um, now the Kaaba of Adam being the bones of Adam. Right. Um, Tracy Twyman um, talks about the fact that Renla Chateau, um, as far as the Templars um, and the, the relics of the Templar, because they had the head of John the Baptist. Um, being 23 kaput, right? Um, but they were also said to have the Kaaba of, of man, which was the bones of Adam. And Tracy Twyman thinks that um, there's actually five mountains that are around Rennes-le-Chateau, um, and she thinks in one of those mountains in a cave, in an underground cave, is where they currently might be hiding the, um, the bones of Adam. And if that's the case, I mean, could the skins of Adam be there as well? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just to add on top of that, yeah, you know, yeah. My, own, my own kind of, you know, deep dive. So, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that, that wraps up the whole story of the, Thank you, the necromantic skin of, of Adam and Nimrod, the first skinwalker. Fucking yeah. wild. It, and it's wild how just this tied into so much shit that I was – Doing on my own for my own stuff yeah. with the occult rejects, you know, it's just at the same time. <laughs> yeah, very fucking I, weird. You know, it's funny when that. we covered the Scarlet Whore, we also came across a lot of people who were kind of going on subjects and topics on my show around the same time. That just huh. I didn't even ask them; they just happened to bring it up to me, and I was yeah. like, "Fuck, this is yeah. weird." I, so, <laughs> and, and I think, man, you know, when you look at the cosmic turnings of of the geometry that makes. A, 
it's, it's, you know, synchronicity, I think, is a cosmic function, man. So do I. You know? I've definitely started to believe that more and more, even as just doing yeah. podcasting now and meeting more yeah. and more people. It just seems at, at times just way too coincidental. Too coincidental. Yeah, <laughs> for you know? sure. My wife says there's no accidents, there's no coincidence. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you so much for coming on again. Will you, will you please let everybody know like whatever links that you have? I know you have art and all that stuff. Let everybody know about that. And I do have all that in the bottom as well, but just promote your stuff one more time, please. Yeah, Um I would have to look it up, honestly, man. I don't okay. know it offhand. Um, I think it's Robbie Marks on Instagram, um, and uh, or Marks Robbie, one of the two. Yeah. I'm, on, yeah. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I have a Patreon. Um, I'm on. I don't know. And then my website, which is a little out of date, I'm working on getting it redone right now, is MarksMarks.com. M-A-R-X-M-A-R-X.com. Um, but if you find me on my Etsy, um, I have actually a new piece that I just finished up that I'm going to be releasing some t-shirts and some posters of that piece here nice. pretty soon. So, yeah, I think yeah. I have all your, I think I have your Etsy stuff in there too. So definitely go check yeah. out his stuff. I, I think is I actually really like your art. I think some of Very his stuff. Talented is, yeah. Artist, yeah. Yes. I have to say it's yeah. impressive. It's, it's my love. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, uh and, and um, also, as far as the book itself, um, I was talking to the editor yesterday and today, and it's it's moving forward. So, awesome, I mean, it's, it's more the idea of polishing it, you know, and, and getting it into a nice, uh, nice even keel, readable form. Um, but then I'm also doing work in the illustrations for it. And that's awesome. And it's, it's an undertaking, man. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, this is a heavy thing to do. Year that I've been working on getting all this stuff together. That's so amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. And, and again, I can, I can't thank you, you know, enough for coming on and, and spending, I mean, this is a lot of time you spent going into this, this whole series and covering this topic. I loved it. Uh, the people that are joining in definitely seem to have loved it too. So I, I really thank you you know, for coming on and spending the yeah. time doing this. And I had a great time. So much shit that I don't even know. Yeah. You know what I'm I saying? I, I can listen to this over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I think it's relevant. The reason that I'm like, you know, you, you talk about paywalls and giving it away for free. Man, the reason that, that I'm just throwing it all out there is because this is pertinent information that relates to how the world is structured that we currently live in. Yes. I think you nailed it. So. I think no. you nailed it right there. And that's, and that's yeah. a that's a great way to end it. So, yeah, uh, yeah that is the end of um, the skin, well, Nimrod, the first Skinwalker series that uh, Robbie Marks uh, covered for us. Thank you so much. Uh, Teresa, thank you for joining the last two of them, right? You were yeah, the last one in this one. Uh, thank you for co-hosting with me. You brought up great points, great stuff again, like stuff that I don't know. You contributed to it. Thank you so much for both of you. And uh, thank you, everybody, who jumped in on the chat and asked questions. I, I really love that stuff. That's why I do these lives, because I just want to be able to interact with people who are, you know, have questions or are into this shit. So, uh, again, thank you all, and thank everybody for jumping in. And uh, until the next one, uh, that is it. And uh, have a great day, and be well. Later. <laughs>